Welcome back, Screamers. Welcome back to another episode of Insight and Wisdom Tempered by Sarcasm and Subtle Irony. I like that you've mapped all this out now. It's, it, it is a just a generic thing. I mean, not, not generic, but a very specific thing that we do. Insight. I don't know what the other ones were. I wasn't. Oh, I, I said. I said wisdom. Oh, wisdom. Yeah. Oh, okay. But but it's sarcasm and subtle irony, <laughs> which I think is. I think we're trying to make a mainstay. Right. Of course. Yeah. Again, this goes back to us being sort of squarely in Generation X, where we just don't take anything seriously. But also, why we're, would you? We're not. No, because it's just terrible. Right. Everything terrible. sucks. It's. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we're also we simultaneously, I think, hate life but also are very curious about things that are out there and still find ways to quote unquote, enjoy. Sure. Right. Is the, are those two things, uh, incongruous? I mean, inc- ah, it's not the right word I'm looking for. Disjointed in some sort of way that where we can't, uh, well, I think, I mean, I think this is sort of the idea of holding two opposing thoughts in your head at the same time, which Fitzgerald said was the mark of a genius. Well, so, well, yeah, then I'm again, on board, right? There, here we are, insight and wisdom. But yes, I do want to make sure it is well known that I hate life. That is, if there's a baseline that we're getting across in this podcast, is that absolutely on this side of the table, 100%. Look, I never asked to be born. <laughs> that makes, you do make a good point there, yeah. It was, it was not my choice. <laughs> no one seems to give a shit what right. I want. Yeah, I mean, who's, <laughs> what I want who's, now, who's so. thinking of the unborn fetuses and their, and their choice to not live? <laughs> Republicans, <laughs> but they're not thinking about anyone who's alive. So true. We could talk about the debt ceiling increase and sort of that. Oh, is that, that what we're doing? I, that poison, I that poison bill. I mean, that's what this podcast is about. Watching it's not about. Movies it's not about movies. Um, I, I, you know, it's funny because you sent me a text and 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 you said, "Well, I liked one movie out of the three that we're talking about today," and I responded, "Oh, that's interesting. Me too." <laughs> I have a feeling they're not going to be the same for some reason. Oh, this will be good. I, I think so. Oh, okay. I think so. I, hmm. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I mean, yeah, I don't well, know. Let we'll me tell you. Let me tell you, Screamers, here's what we're going to do today, right? Today we are back on our David Gordon Green excursion, uh, back on the road exploring the films of DWG. We're taking a look at 2004's Undertow and 2007's Snow Angels. Before that... <laughs> We're going to chat about Sick of Myself, Christopher Borgley's 2022 Norwegian social satire. I guess it was 22, right? Didn't it premiere at the 20, so, 2022 yeah. con? Yeah. 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 Um, so, I mean, you so know. if you're excited about that, I mean, you know, I'm sure you're, <laughs> you've, you've <laughs> t- taken time out of your day to talk about two films that I'm not even sure David Gordon Green remembers directing. Uh, and that most, uh, that has, they have certainly disappeared from the zeitgeist. <laughs> <laughs> they don't really exist, except they actually have good sort of commercial and critical uh, ratings, which Ebert, boggles. Oh, Ebert gushed over over Undertow. Undertow. Like, is it I mean, it's the top ten of two thousand four for him? I mean, his. Did you read his review? I did. Oh my! Oh, yeah. Wow, he was really. I think quite literally feeling himself as he wrote that review. <laughs> It's no, I mean, <laughs> it, to say that it is a loving review is not doing it justice. It is, it is gross in how, how much praise he gives, he gives. Yeah, it's, it's pretty shocking, but we're not there yet. We're not there yet. Let's talk. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Yeah. There, there's no reason to apologize here. I mean, I wasn't apologizing to you. <laughs> Just to yourself or to the listening public? No, yeah, kind of all of the above, right, really. Right. Um, I often apologize just to people on the street. 
I'm sorry, none of this right. was my idea. <laughs> <laughs> I also apologized like to myself for having to put up with myself. It's yeah, there is a lot of that, right? I mean, just a matter of like I'd do better if I could, maybe. <laughs> but how much do I want to? Well, let let me let me let me let me reclassify that. I would do better if I were a better person in general. Like I, I and I like well, and I I don't know that's true or not to be honest. Um, but I can tell you this is where I am, and that's why I'm not doing better. I can't make any promises that if I was a better person, I'd be a better person. But I'd like to think that I would be. And so that's got to be worth something, right? Yeah, but I think you're an okay person. I, look, I mean, I'm, look, look, I know a I'm lot, I know a lot worse, person than, <laughs> worse people than you. Right, right. In the grand scheme of things, on the bell curve, I'm, I, who knows where I fall, but it probably not in the bottom third, right? I mean, like, I would imagine, because there's been a lot of shit people out there, maybe not even from their own design, maybe just because the way that they were raised or, you know, they just hadn't have certain developmental opportunities that I've had, but... But I can't imagine that when the books are opened and everyone's ranked one to, you know, 15 billion or whatever the number will be eventually. Ad infinitum. Right. That I'm going to fall in the, say, 12 to 15 billion of the worst people of all time. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm in the, the cum laude portion of it either. But I'm, like I said, I'm right in the middle. I'm not punching elderly people on the street for whatever that's worth and so what if they deserve it <laughs> not even then okay oh, i wow. don't even punch that's... elderly people if they deserve it and most of them i just assume do oh so right so that's <laughs> you willingly live this long that's my <laughs> what is wrong with you what the fuck <laughs> you do know those finite resources right we're not making any more anyway <laughs> so there's that um <laughs> Yeah, so let's talk sick of myself. Yeah, speaking of being sick of ourselves, right. let's, <laughs> and, and, it's a nice and speaking of being like a terrible we person, plan that. Right? But this is this is works out well. This yeah. this is content. <laughs> <laughs> so here's here's a quick storyline, quick synopsis, quick storyline. Senia and Thomas are in an unhealthy competitive relationship that takes a vicious turn when Thomas suddenly breaks through as a contemporary artist. In response. Senya makes a desperate attempt to regain her status by creating a new persona hell-bent on attracting attention and sympathy. Senya uses sketchy Russian pills, Ledexol, to self-induce a skin disorder culminating in minor celebrity and downfall. That's pretty much it. Um, apparently, L-I-D-E in Norwegian means suffering. Okay. So, um, so Vinegar Syndrome put out a really nice Blu-ray of okay. this, of this nice. film. And I was going through some of the special features. And what is an interview with the director? And so he brings that up. And hmm. he's kind of, you know, talking about the intentionality of some of this. But um, this film was originally shot on 35 millimeter. And the Blu-ray looks great. Um, so yeah, it really of, is a gorgeous. I mean, like, it, even watching it online, I mean, like, online and, and watching the digital print version of it, it was really beautifully shot. It's really, yeah. really, yeah. Yeah. That aspect is great. Did you like this film? I fucking loved it. Okay, great. So this is the one <laughs> okay, that I love too. Okay, yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah. See, yeah, I I thought so. I thought you after I watched this, I'm like, oh, I think he'll dig this. I think he'll really <laughs> dig this. Um I loved it too. I really loved it too. And it was weird because I I found a a bunch of like contradictory reviews on right. this on this film that seemed 
it was weird. So what's the take on the negative aspect of it? Maybe is that it's too far, too on the nose, or is it? I don't even think that's really true. I don't think so either. You know, it was more of kind of like what's well, like cynical and it's maybe not really that funny and blah, you know, stuff like that. Oh, like, I found it. What? I found oh my it, like, God. Or it's like it's cringy. Funny. And I'm like, oh, I was out loud just dying. The Guardian. I read two different reviews in The Guardian. One, and they rank it on stars. Mm-hmm. One reviewer gave it a two star and the other reviewer gave it four stars. I mean, so we're talking like kind of wildly right. disparate. The reviewer that gave it two stars was male and probably baby boomer generation-ish. The reviewer that gave it four stars was female and probably Gen X millennial. So I guess if you think that it's punching at your generation and this idea of this need for virality and and constant praise and and validation— Maybe that that hits a little too close to home for you if you've lived in the if you've lived in the era where where everything is Instagram and Facebook likes and uh, you know we're trying to and we're in this era of influencers and and but man I there was just there were scenes in this movie where I was just like all of it where I was just like laughing out loud I mean, oh. it was really really funny and like and it's so like the the two main leads and I don't have their names I mean the actors names but um, Christine Cuyathorpe. And Eric Seether, and I think it's actually pronounced Eric. Look, I'm not Norwegian. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and these two people very much are like the Norwegian like prototypes of like beautiful. <laughs> I mean, and so this like just sitting there watching the interactions and them trying to one up each other and but him also trying to be somewhat supportive, but then then undercutting her in a lot of ways, right? <laughs> so I think, and I think the first scene in this film sets all of that up in such a great way. So they're at dinner at this fancy restaurant, and Thomas has ordered a $2,300 bottle of wine and, you know, claims that it's for her birthday, birthday right. right? So, and, and, and the plan is to steal this bottle of wine. And they do it so well, too, right? I don't mean to step on you, but like, no, no. he like plays into it. It's like, oh, you don't need to tell me the price of it. Like, He's like, oh, it's my girlfriend's birthday. You right, know, right. I'd rather you not announce it, which is great. <laughs> like, come on, man. I'm trying to be cool here. <laughs> right. Which was, yeah, brilliant, right? And then, so, so he's like, look, go pretend to take a phone call, and I'll grab the bottle and we'll take off. And she's like, now? But everyone's looking at me. And he's like, are you that much of a narcissist? You think this restaurant is looking? No one's paying attention. Just do it. So she does, but remember, it's her birthday, quote unquote, it's her birthday, and they bring her dessert. And so she comes back to the table and sits down, and he's like, you ordered a fucking dessert? (laughs) She's like, it's my birthday. So, and it's this real ostentatious, like fireworky kind of display that they that they bring out to her. And, as well. and, and Thomas is like, "Okay, you know, bring the, the the fireworks can go down now, right? They can go out now." <laughs> and um, so when they do it again, she she gets up to take a phone call, and he snatches the bottle of wine, and we we cut to the scene on the street of him running down the street, well, and she only agrees to it, right? Because she was like, "Look, oh, that's when we go to the, they're going to a party later," and she's like, "Look." You can steal it, but tell everybody that I stole, I stole the it. bottle. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, okay, fine. Right? So, but, but, and then this next part is so great where he's running down the street being chased by the waiter, chasing after him for this bottle of wine, and she's right there smoking on the corner, and the waiter walks by and doesn't even notice her, and she looks so pissed. <laughs> right? But she's like, <laughs> it's not about getting caught. It's like, wait, I was part of this too. Right. Right? Which... I also think it's really interesting in how it plays into Thomas's 
artwork, which is very conceptual. He steals chairs <laughs> from places, and then he constructs kind of installations out of these stolen chairs. You know, he, he later to dinner, he claims to have done all this by himself. And then we see a scene of her helping him steal you know, a chair, steal when she didn't chair, want to, right? right? Yeah. She didn't want to. And so, like, she's never included in any of these antics, and he gets to sort of tell the story and be, you know, the life of the party afterward. But, I mean, but that opening scene just sets up that competition and that, like, craving, right, for eyes and craving for attention. It's funny to me the way that, that she's presented, because I almost see Thomas as being a little sympathetic in all of this because her shit goes so over the top. Like, so she gets a rare skin disease because she's researched this, right? She's researched. So what happens is Thomas gets recognized. <laughs> he's, he's, he's going to have a, a show in one of the premier art houses, although it's an offshoot, like a smaller, it's piece. a pop-up basically. <laughs> right. But it's put on by that. <laughs> Which, the, which yeah, she makes sure dinner. to point out in front of their friends at lunch or <laughs> having a meal. And uh, so she starts researching ways to become, uh, to get attention, essentially. And I, I don't I don't remember. It, it was really interesting because this was an interesting thing to me in from a filmmaking perspective is that the screen was in English, like when she's doing the website and like mm -hmm. everything, all the mm -hmm. articles was done were done in English. And I thought that was interesting because I obviously whatever release that we got versus whatever release is in Norway. <laughs> it's just a little tidbit that I find kind of funny and intriguing. Um, well, and she even makes a joke because she's like, why do Norwegian artists always title their shows in English? <laughs> right, right, <laughs> And right. he's just like, well, it's an international scene. It's just what we do. <laughs> <laughs> what we do. And he's like ultimately this like definitely this wannabe artist kind of douchebag. He wears like this like kind of oh see-through mesh shirt for his, his article that's written in the local... Um, you know, Oslo magazine or yeah. whatever. And does the scene, does the dinner scene happen before she takes the medicine? Yeah. Okay. So I think that's what leads her to sort of looking for, because she fakes a nut allergy. So, right. And before, remember before that, him. there was the dog attack. Right, right, right. And okay, so, yes, yes, and so like a, she works in a cafe and a, a a woman stumbles in after having been having been bit by a dog, and she, I mean, to her credit, is the only one that kind of comforts and tries to help this this woman. Right, she stops the bleeding. Although we, we see her, like, push other people away from helping. <laughs> but she gets this, like, rush of attention, and she walks home covered in blood, and she sees people, like, looking. And she makes a point to get Thomas's attention when she comes home. Right. And then so— it, that's kind of like the first, I feel like, impulse for her to kind like, of rush okay, for what her. else can I, what else can I do here? And then, yeah, at dinner after Thomas's art show, no one's paying attention to her. In fact, they think, they think that she is Thomas's sister <laughs> and he doesn't correct anyone. <laughs> and she has, she, and she's gone online to like figure out who, who's the architect oh, for the yeah. building. Yeah. So like she has this like <laughs> thing in her back pocket that's going to bring all the attention back to her as this piece of knowledge. And no, no one can one, give a shit. No one listens. So, so they're at this dinner party. A chef comes in and is like, does anyone have any sort of allergies that the kitchen needs to know about? And she's like, no one's, everyone's quiet for a minute. She's like, yeah, I, I have one. I have a nut, nut allergy. And he's like, well, is it extreme? And she's like, oh, yeah, it's very extreme. <laughs> I was like, well, the kitchen have to do extra work, but it's fine. So when the, when the plates come out, um, the, this, the um, waiter sees her eating off of Thomas's plate. And he's like, uh, that has nuts in it. You just said you had a, you know, a violent nut allergy, a life-threatening nut allergy. And, it, and at, at a moment, she's like, no, I'm fine. And then as people start to fawn over her, 
She starts to pass out. She starts to get can't breathe. <laughs> she also starts to pull back. Like at the at the very beginning of it, um, you know, it's more of a oh look how silly I am and look how you know yeah. flighty that I am and look you know I'm so pretty and this is and then when that starts to wane for her. I mean, she just goes face plants right she on the table. Right <laughs> it's like a <laughs> when it isn't that doesn't she face plant in the middle of his speech? Yes, yeah. So, and what I love about like his speech is he is the one who initiates him talking, and he's just like, oh, I don't mean, I don't mean to take up too much of the spotlight, but maybe I'll just give a small speech. <laughs> like no one, like no one asked you to do that. And I was kind of like, okay, like fine, right? <laughs> yeah, and then she just bam. So she engages with a dog out on the street afterwards as well where <laughs> she sees a dog that's tied up outside of a um outside of a coffee shop or whatever on the street and she goes up and she tries to get it to bite her <laughs> and the owner comes up and calls her see you next tuesday and was like what are you doing <laughs> like, what are you anim- doing it's like just go home like just leave like stop abusing why are you abusing animals <laughs> You crazy woman. So she goes home and does research on affliction. She comes up with this um, Russian drug that causes this rare skin disease. Um, she has an ex-boyfriend who's a dealer, or at least some sort of ex-acquaintance that's a dealer. Yeah, um, that, that, that he accidentally sent her a, a, nude a lewd photo. <laughs> because her name was below <laughs> the name of the tender. Yeah, 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 yeah sure. <laughs> So he, that guy's really good. Mm-hmm. He is, he was so good. In fact, all of these like small, I think, I think the acting in this film is, is brilliant. Yeah. Like all, all across the board. And I think these, these kind of smaller roles are like scene stealing. I mean, he is so funny. That guy is so funny. Yeah. I mean, because all this movie's predicated on how everyone reacts around them. Right. I mean, they, not everyone can buy into this, these two kind of this one upsmanship. Yeah. So she eventually she takes a lot of this drug and and it and she starts to get a rash and then all of a sudden bam her face just blows up like she's she's got um lesions and and her face is disfigured she goes to the hospital and she won't let them diagnose her she went to the hospital when she gets the rash too she's like the doctor's like i need to take off your jacket so i can see your rash she's like no i don't want to do that and he's like why don't you want to do that? And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. And then can we stop talking about it? Please. (laughs) She goes back to Thomas and like, they did so many tests and I don't know. They don't have any idea. You were supposed to pick me up. (laughs) This is why he's in his interview for the photo shoot interview. Yeah. And he's (laughs) He's like, like, I was was supposed to, like, I got to ride a train. (laughs) Dude. It many times if I had this fucking conversation, <laughs> I gotta ride the train and then ride back with you. What you're, like, you're a grown up person. Like why do you <laughs> why do you need me to do that? <laughs> so so it, it it starts to she I, I don't know does she continue to take this. It starts to wane, right? So like it and it becomes a thing, almost really kind of beautiful markings on her skin. Not beautiful. I mean, I, I, but however you want to classify it, right? But. It becomes where she can go out in public and still get attention, but no one's grotesque by her appearance. And even right. then, she doesn't really even seem to be that annoyed by that. Um, when she's in the hospital, Thomas brings her his magazine article. <laughs> so I thought you'd want this. I thought you'd want to see this. He's like, <laughs> and she's just like, uh, where's Annie or Ayn or um, some some yeah, I, nor- I, yeah one of her girl one of her girlfriends who works at the cafe who um, didn't come to the hospital because like two of her friends did and the one didn't <laughs> right and she gets out she's being wheeled out of the hospital and she's like what fifty seven email messages and like <laughs> and like that's a few it? likes on right <laughs> right yeah and a few likes and that's it 
so she's actually eventually able to parlay this into a modeling gig. We have to talk about the funeral. Okay, yes, yes, yes. Okay. So so she is sort of thinking oh, yeah, about like about the sex scene too. About, <laughs> you know, she's thinking about all these people that didn't come visit her, didn't give her enough attention, and they are essentially dead to her. And so And Thomas is kind of weirded out by her like one, he's worried that it's 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 uh contagious. Or contagious and he's still weirded <laughs> like, out by her. Are you her sure? Are you too. sure? <laughs> And, and so she wants to have sex at home, and and because like, they're talking about the funeral, and she, it, it's kind of arousing her, right? Right. And he doesn't really want to. He's like, "Is it safe? Are you sure?" <laughs> but as they're as they're having sex, she's like, "Tell me about my funeral." And there's a so the whole kind of construct, the whole fantasy is that there's a waiting list. It's like a nightclub. It's basically. like a nightclub, right? There's, there's a, a guest list <laughs> checking off. Yeah, there's a doorman checking off names on a guest list to come to the funeral, and. Her father, who's been absent from her life, isn't allowed, isn't allowed in. in. And her friend, who didn't come by, right, isn't allowed in, right? And all of these things, and how many, how many people are there, and how many people are crying. This is yeah, the stuff once, that— Once people get in, they're, like, tearing clothes and ripping their hair out, and, like, just, like, bawling. They can't contain themselves. <laughs> and this is the thing that gets her off. I mean, it's—I mean, literally, <laughs> right. And, right? And it's just—oh, it's so funny. It's so funny. It's this weird, erotic scene that— yeah, there's a lot and of she's like, got this like mask <laughs> right on her face. So <laughs> there's a there's a lot of like flights of fancy, obviously, in this movie. Where, but the next the next one, she, once she gets the modeling gig and she gets her own uh, interview in the magazine, <laughs> the magazine comes out and it's on a stand, and she like takes the magazine and places it over all the other magazines <laughs> in the stand. So this looks like that one's there. <laughs> she like hangs out and by the newsstand and it's reading it by while they're like just like posing by it the entire time. And then I guess that's what ends up leading to like her, um, she goes, to, she, her mom convinces her like at no point she, she is worried about being found out the entire time. Mm-hmm. So she never lets the doctors actually diagnose her because this is a, this is a disease that's been diagnosed. She goes and she goes, it's about to go into an MRI machine and her, she starts to imagine the doctor coming in and talking to her, and he's like, "Oh yeah, no, we we know what the problem is. It's you're a, you're a terrible a person, shit, right? <laughs> and the cops are waiting outside to execute you." And I love the cameo by Anders Danielson Lee, yes, right yeah. from the worst, yeah, the worst person in the world, world right? right? right. And, and a lot of other stuff. Did you know that he's a physician? Mm. Like he, I did read that. He's yeah. a regular William Carlos Williams. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the dude's a doctor in real life, and he's, but that that was such a good. Little cameo. He's right. deadpan and droll, and it's just like yeah, so. The cops are here waiting outside. <laughs> yeah, to we execute. know what you've been doing. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I've never seen it this bad. So she, so, <laughs> so she's <crazy>. right, right. <laughs> so she stops herself from inside the MRI and pulls herself out of it. Her mom tells her to go to these holistic um, doctors who. Or I guess this holistic healing center that where all these people are talking about their diseases. And everyone's kind of the same way. Like one woman's kind of figured her out. She's like, look, you can see yours. Mine is like brain fog and like all these other hidden things. I would love to have what you have. And yes, she's got like serious face disfigurement. And then one lady like vomits on the floor out of nowhere. And like the the, the holistic doctor picks it up. And he's like, oh, that's good that you got rid of that. <laughs> it's a trip. It's, just, it's like a holistic support group. Right. right, where it's right. All, he's like. Do you really trust all the doctors and their medicine? Like, right? Can no. you trust me? Right? She's like, yeah, no, I absolutely no. don't. Right? You know, there's a there's a drug I like to prescribe. It's called going outside right? or fresh, fresh air. Fresh air. Fresh air right? yeah. I think you've heard of it. It's called fresh, fresh air. air. I love the use of the flights of fancy um, because I feel like they're 
input so seamlessly to the rest of the film. Yeah, at, at first you think that they're actually, I mean, like the doctor visit I thought was absolutely real. And I was like, oh shit, he's gonna, he's just like ripping into her. Yeah. And then I thought the newscast, when she does get the modeling job and, and she's been in, so they've been the D2 art and she goes on to, onto a newscast and they're like talking about how brave she is and she's in this like frilly, like kind of like a little girl dress, like where she's kind of like very conservative and down home. Mm -hmm. And, are, and they bring out, we've got a surprise for you. And we brought your father it's out. Your and, he dad. Come, and he comes out and he's like overly apologetic. I'm sorry, I've never been there for you. Oh, we've got another surprise for you. It's Ayn or whatever. And she's it's your like, friend she, who wasn't there. Yeah. Right. And she's like, I didn't understand the severity. And she's like all ducked down. And then she starts singing this like inane song. <laughs> I'd like to sing this song. Yeah. And then it comes back to like reality. And right. so, yeah, I, I loved how how those were sort of put in there. And I thought the, apparently the, the director wasn't supposed to edit this, but he did. Oh, really? I think for budgetary reasons. So because he wanted to shoot on film, something had mm. to kind of go. And so two things went, and that was, he had to take on the editing, basically like no cost, right? Right. And they had to get rid of the script supervisor. And so they had to do all this like collaboratively. Oh, <laughs> really? Like, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So, which this is probably the best film for that to happen then. I mean, because it, at that point you don't really need continuity. Everything else kind of falls out. Right. If, like, if, if, if something doesn't play, it just doesn't play. It could have been anything in her head. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that probably serves it well because it, at, at certain points she does get a modeling career. It gets a little, it got a little confusing for me at the end when she was, like her sister, or like the her sister, who's the is was that her sister? that was a reporter, right? Or it's who's just the a reporter? Friend. Oh, just a friend. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. I thought that they were um, closer than that, and then but her friend well, goes. She off seems and, to be like a real, like one of the few genuine friends. Right. Like in right. the, I mean, and that, and that character was really interesting because she would. There's a scene early on where they're at this party after dinner and they're talking, and Sini is talking about how like look. Being a narcissist is a plus. These are the people that get ahead. Talent and narcissism like lead you places. And then her friend goes, then why do you still work in a cafe? <laughs> and of course, she just turns back and says, well, because I'm not a narcissist. <laughs> but it's like it's like this reporter seems to know her bullshit and call right. her out on it. And, they're, you know, they're talking about like the dog attack story. And she she looks at her friend who's the reporter and says, you know, I'd, I'd be willing to be interviewed. You know, for right, you, right. she's like, just, I, I do not, and she you. goes, "That's not how it works." <laughs> but there's so there's this moment where she has this fantasy of confessing, right? Right, right, right. She, she because that's the next thing for her, right? Is the is the is the playing the martyr and playing the victim. So right, right, which which is a great scene. Which I thought, out of all the ones I thought were real, I thought that one was for sure real. Right, right, and see, I did too until it came back around. I was like. Oh, okay, then. But, but this was the other thing that is so, I think, great about this film is that we get to see the kind of machinations of her treachery. Mm -hmm. Treachery is maybe a strong word, but I think you sure. know what I mean, right? Right. Um, and sure how these things. Right? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Yeah. And how these things like manifest, like, okay, well, this is how it's going to play out. This is my fantasy of how this will work. And. And I really like that because I think that it's something we all do on some level anyway, right? Well, if I say this, they'll say this. And maybe more in arguments, at least, you know, for mm -hmm. me, I just argue with people on the street, <laughs> right? If they say this, I'll say this. No, I got them there. Right. But this is what she's doing. And it's so, like, brilliant to sort of let us in then on this kind of person's mind. Right. And and so the, you know, one of the things I think this movie does well, too, is that it actually does show the impact. Like, so the... The drug dealer 
actually does start to have, I mean, he, start, he starts to, ha- he starts taking the drug. He doesn't, that's all fake too. Yeah. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. I lost a lot of that. I need to go back and yeah. watch this again. Yeah. Cause so, because I, so I swear, I, th- I thought that was real. <laughs> it's, it's her, because he tells, she tells her reporter friend right, that, that she he died. A, right, right, right. And she sees him on the street. But see, that's in her head too. Oh shit. So she, because the, again, like these are all like scenarios that she's been, what if, what if they see, what if, you know, she sees him and this happens and this happens. And then they're going to, and it's not about, because it's not about him taking the medicine and getting sick. Right, right, it's right. About it's about people it's finding out and that, that this is not like a rare thing. Interesting. So it's all like kind of paranoia in her head and how do I avoid this and how do I not let this happen? And what's really fun about those two is that she knows how full of shit she is. Yes. Like, I mean, it's the whole, like, because the, the interaction between the reporter and the fake interaction between the, for, the reporter and the drug dealer is he's telling this story about how when they were little, she was telling a story about how she didn't have all of her toes. And then later on, she was wearing sandals and like she had all of her toes. And I was like, oh, I never said that. I never, that was not a, it's such a brilliant, like just mirror turn on society as exists today. Media, um, consumerism, politics, all, and, 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 and this constant desire to live online and to, and to need this immediate feedback all of it is just, and again, there's no, I mean, then there really are no consequences, right? She becomes a model and she starts to have failing health. And then eventually she starts to come, become, you know, she decides to come clean and write a book about her story. And that gave, gave her more, I mean, people still champion that, right? Right. Uh, it, right. And it's, yeah, it's, and then the, the last scene is them at the, is the holistic center, like all dancing through the fucking woods. Right? <laughs> she's just, back at the, I mean, she has really kind of lost everything by the end of this film. Right, but she right? doesn't really care, though. Right. I mean, like the whole, because again, it's still about. Right, because she's like, well, Thomas went to jail. <laughs> and she's like, so I don't even have a boyfriend. Yeah. Like, and that's, and you know, and, and she, you know, in real life confesses to her friend and the friend's like, fuck you, you're crazy. I'm getting out of here. Right, I'm not staying right. around. Right. I, th- I think that, so I wanted to ask you, I, I mean, I think clearly you think this works well as a satire. I, and, and I do too, but it's so deadpan and it takes itself so seriously. And I think that's part of the reason it's so effective, at least for me, I feel like it's so much more poignant because it's not really winking. At anyone, it's not right, it's playing not the sadness, satire. right? Right, right. Which is and, not to, which we both love that movie too. But yeah, but it, I mean, it is it is tonally right. It is much quieter than Triangle of Sadness. You can see, and what I love about um, Christine Thorpe, a lot of times you can see her mind working like as that character, mm-hmm. and it's not like a winky way, but it's like okay, now I got to do something else, which again I think works so so well. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I as far as uh, why do I think it works? Um, I, I don't think it works better as a broad comedy if you try it. Because at, at right. that point, if if you play it broadly, you play it like Triangle of Sadness, it allows an audience an out. Mm-hmm. It allows the people that, I mean, this is not, this is punching sideways. This is punching at everybody. Mm-hmm. We're all, you know, we're, and, and as a society, we have devolved to this level at this point. Um, from our in from our discourse to to individual interactions with with everyone, right? And the only people who are sane are the ones who finally break out of that cycle and say, "Fuck this! I'm not going to sit here and listen to this. I'm not going to let you abuse me mm-hmm. because of your vanity." Um, but I think if you if you play these characters more cartoonish or more buffoonery, then again, that allows me to go. I can separate from that and say, "Well, I'm not 
that obvious. I'm not that. And, and there's a little bit of that because this gets to be the, the stakes rise and rise oh, and rise and right. rise. I mean, you can obviously pull back and say, well, I'm not going to take a, uh, a Russian drug. Or I'm not going to take a Russian drug to, to, um, to, you know, to disfigure myself. But fuck, I mean, in the news right now, Ozempic is this yeah. diabetic drug that everyone's taking to, for to weight lose loss. weight. It's also keeping the drug off the market for people, people who that are actually diabetic. And it's $10,000 or $1,000 a month or whatever it is. It's, I mean, and look, I, I, you want to lose weight. You want to feel better about yourself. I, I don't have any qualms with that. But this is something that we don't, this is a brand new thing that, you know, and people are just, uh, you know, I don't want to say that they're abusing it, but it's, it's an interesting parallel to but what we're are. talking about. Right. I mean, it's, it's. No, I, th I think that's, that's an exact, like, that's a, an exact kind of analogy with what this movie is doing. And I don't think it's an accident that the, that the director uses pharmaceuticals instead of like, right. you know, I don't know, heroin. Right. I mean, right, or, right, right, or, or right. some kind of street drug. Right. But it's like, how can we make these pharmaceuticals look even more sketchy and dangerous and like a kind of narcotic? Right. I mean, you know, call it what it is, because that's exactly what's happening with, with like Ozempic. And again, it's it's vanity and attention that is causing people to do that and then not have it available for people that actually <laughs> right. have to have the disease that it's trying to, to that's trying to cure the, the, the also the parallel and well, not even parallel, just the direct line of these you know anti-vax do your own research you know with the holistic you know retreat that she goes to and this bullshit of like yeah no look we got everything we need you can inject bleach into your veins sunshine down your throat it's got it's called fresh air that'll that that heals everything take take your bandages off take your bandages off and let yourself heal that way mm -hmm. and then there's no like coming back or realization after the fact, as she's bleeding from her forehead during a modeling shoot, and she's vomiting up blood, and, and like, there's no, she's, <laughs> I, I do think it's an interesting, like, dig at consumerism and capitalism culture embracing or, you know, I guess putting on the, 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 the veil of uh, you know, LGBTQ and, and, mm -hmm. these and these disabled groups of like, well, let me go sell more product because I'm also, I'm just like you. And I give a shit for the, from the month, from the start of the month that I'm supposed to give a shit to the end of the month that I'm supposed to give a shit. Right. And then, and after that, fuck you, I don't actually give a shit. I just want you to buy my products. I, cause I want you to right. think I'm like you. The modeling agency that she gets a contract with is a uh, diversity first or all inclusive modeling agency that has one other client who has a disfigured hand disfigured hand. hand of some sort yeah. right yeah and 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 the woman that founded this um agency gives this kind of weird spiel about how um, you God know damn, that I, is I, that's a brilliant scene too. No, it, I mean, it, okay so i was gonna no no because i was because uh, i was gonna ask you how you <laughs> felt about that scene well so when they're I'm, I'm talking about when they're set up the contract and they she has an assistant who's yeah. blind yes yes and and she's ordering her around to get the get the model water and the and the blind she like drops a glass and they're all put out and she's like, you know, having a common place for everything or a, a consistent place for everything will really help me out a lot. And she's like, oh, that's interesting point. We'll take that. We'll take that as a note. <laughs> but it's, oh, I know, no, I know. It's, so that was something that got some negative comments in the negative reviews. Really? Yeah. Yeah. But I again, it was brilliant. oh no, I, I did no, I did too, and so this is why, like, I think it is maybe a generational thing where some older critics were like, "Well, that just that doesn't seem right," or that. But I think they're also not aware of the 
look, and I'm all in favor of DEI initiatives. I want to say that like first out. <laughs> but I think some of these older critics are probably unaware of the how much of a push there is in, in like DEI. I mean, so in education, in workplaces, in government, et cetera. And I think that there is a kind of skewering um, of how people will use that to their own kind of economic advantage. And right. that's what I loved about that scene too, right? And she's like, well, I, you know, I hired her because she's blind, but I don't really fucking care about well, she's her. She's also gorgeous, right? Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah, and I was like blonde and yeah. Right, and yeah. I'm just going to treat her like anybody else. Because that's what good people, I don't see color, I don't see disability. Right, right. and like, you're like, no, 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 you. there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason like the American with Disabilities Act was put into place because like you can't just say, well, we'll just wheel your wheelchair up the stairs. Like, right. No, like, this, this isn't how like these things work. Right? The scene, um, but I love that. Yeah. The scene where she's bleeding out of her forehead and they make her put on this like, uh, you know, a hat uh, that covers up like her hair's falling out. <laughs> She's bleeding out of her forehead and she's vomiting on blood. A PA passes oh, yeah. out and they pay more attention to the PA <laughs> than they do to her. Like, and what's, oh, what's amazing about that scene is immediately when they're filming her for the commercial, like the cameraman goes down and continues to film yeah. her on the ground yeah. vomiting blood until the director, like a few minutes later, says cut. And like, and they all stand around looking at her, not knowing what, not even knowing how to like call nine one one or call right. like call right. for help. Right? They have they're to have like, like, an, like they tell an assistant like, "Well, call them And then like, the guy faints. I'm like, "Well, check on him. Is he okay?" <laughs> right. uh, the director of that commercial is the director of the film. Mm -hmm. Okay, I didn't know if you um, have you seen his first movie, Drift? I haven't. I haven't. Um, I saw that. I saw that. Uh, what's his name? Brett Gilman. Yes. Yes. It, it, yeah. Is it? And I, I'm. I think he's. It doesn't hit quite as, I don't think he pulls off everything he tries to do in Drib. So Drib is about. It's marketing. I it's mean, like it's a mockumentary um, about a viral internet star out of Norway. He's born in Iran. And he's this guy who like, he wants to be Andy Kaufman. And, and Red Bull, which they end up, it's a mockumentary. Like they end up like renaming Red Bull because they were going to get sued. They were going to mm -hmm. tell the story of him. Like they hired him for a viral campaign. That was going to be like this underground, like uh, truly viral. Like it wasn't going to be a Red Bull commercial. And so they were hoping to get like, uh, you know, hits and things like that. And then it would turn around eventually. And the, but they would get pressed because, it, but he, but not knowingly that it was an advertisement and campaign. Gotcha. And so they were going to tell this story. And like, it's a, it's a mockumentary about how the whole process works. And, and it's good. It just doesn't quite stick the landing of what it wants sure. to pull off. But it's, but it's still, it's interesting. It's an interesting watch. Yeah. I, I I meant to try and find it, but I didn't. Um, I did I did watch his his short film called Ear. I mean, uh, yeah, I want to watch. He's is, got quite a few shorts out there. Yeah, so. yeah. Um, Ear is interesting in how it sort of you can see the sort of um, you know seeds for for this and in, in that as well. So it's it's yeah, it's it's worth a watch. It's so yeah, true. the whole thing ends up. She writes a book about it. Um, well, no, that's a fantasy. She doesn't. God damn it. Okay, I gotta go back and watch right? it. Because, missed, because missed, yeah, missed. no, 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 because that, that's part of the, like, when she confesses the first time, like, in her mind to her friend, like, this is how it's all gonna play out. She's gonna be like, oh, right, write this book, needs right? to be a book, right. right? Write a book. And so then, you know, that's part of that fantasy of how she kind of becomes this sympathetic victim to kind of this whole, like, narcissistic society. But in real life, in the end, like her friends just like fuck off, I'm out of here. Right, right, right. That's and then she's just, dinner, right? and then she goes back to 
the, the, the holistic whole place, yeah. right? And, and, and then that's she, where and, and she's taken all all the affectations of the people that were there, yes. right? When now yeah. she's got brain fog. Now she's right. got right. You're, you're right. I realized I have brain fog. <laughs> I'm tired and and all this stuff. Yeah, I mean, I look. I I think this is really a really kind of sharp, insightful. Like, look at our kind of self-consumed, self-conscious society. Like, we're aware of ourselves, but we're not self-aware. Right, right. right. And and there's this kind of like it's this kind of society where everyone has a brand, right? We we are all trying to make a brand or get sponsorships or something, right? To become more important. Right. Well, you know, something I really did like about this film is that even though in part, so like the the cultural critic Neil Postman has written a lot about how we have transformed from a society that uses technology, creates technology, to a society that is controlled by technology. And I think that's very apparent in this film. But did you notice that we never see right, she's the never technology? On the cell phone, right. Yeah. I mean, the only time you ever see it is when she's on the computer, um, and that's basically it. Yeah. 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 Yeah, which, really, yeah. I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, right. Agreed. The fact that we're not taking selfies all the time, that we're not that that these characters aren't in, you know enmeshed in their phones all the time. Right. The only time you yeah you see it on the computer and you see it when she gets out of the hospital. And well, she's like walking through and she like takes a like picture of like her butt. <laughs> right, but, right. But even then, yeah, and like when she's in the wheelchair, like she's smoking and she's looking at the phone. Right. right. But, but like that's kind of but it. it's not omnipresent at yeah, all. Yeah, which right. I th- I thought that was really sharp and like really, uh, really clever of the film. <laughs> I thought this is a point to end on, but that there was one really laugh out loud moment. When he starts to, uh, so she's looking up the disease and her boyfriend walks oh, in yeah, yeah. <laughs> and she slams her laptop and he's like, what's going on? And she's like, nothing, nothing. I was just Googling things. Like, no, you weren't. Cause like no one slams the laptop if you're just Googling <laughs> things. He's like, is it was personal? And she's like, was it porn? And he starts grabbing for it and she throws her laptop out the window. <laughs> And then like gasp. That was like a, a great <laughs> so scene. So good. Was, yeah. She just like tossed it and was like, oh shit. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, that was great. Uh, I don't, I don't, is there anything else you want to say? I, I really like No, no, no. I really I, like, like said, this I, film. I, and... It's again, one of those ones I think like in this thoughts and prayers society that we live in that's so empty, this is really a really good a telling of that and, 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 and kind of expanding on it and kind of also just pointing at all of us, right? I mean, yeah. it's, you should walk away from this trying to be a better person. Yeah. Than, than, and of course, I mean, obviously these are extremes, right? But this should show you that these empty gestures and these empty desires have don't ever lead to more connections. You don't grow out of this. You just... Damage. Damn. Well, not only that, but, you, but you, and then you also continually have to feed the beast, right? There's no end to this. Bleeding out of your forehead is not a fucking end to this. It's, I mean, it's pretty telling. It's pretty, it's pretty spot on. And I think it's a really good, uh, I think it's a really good just bashing of all of us. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a damnation of this attention economy. And, and what I really like though, too, is that it's not a polemic, right? right? It's not, it's not someone proselytizing and making a big argument. It's just like here, you all recognize this, right? Yeah. This is not some sort of Adam McKay, like, (laughs) like wagging your finger at you. Right. Right. I mean, and that's another thing that I, I you know, it's like we're just kind of there with these people, which again sort of, you know, puts us in that place and sort of, you know, um, indicts us as well. Right. That's not yeah. the word I was looking for, yeah. whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Thomas, Eric Seeler, is a, that's his first acting role ever. Hmm. He's actually friends of the director 
and a real life artist in Norway. Oh, really? And so the director had this kind of like he was he was talking to this guy about this role that he was he's like, you know, I was thinking about you and I'm gonna like do this thing. And he's like, Ooh, can I audition? And he's like, Yeah, sure. And he was like, Oh, you're great, okay. <laughs> right. So then you hired him. I think it works well too that like Thomas it like especially at the beginning, Thomas is not you feel like he's kind of Signe's a, 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 a like more he's more attractive than him. Like he's kind of uh, you know he, he he's doing better than what he what he should be doing in this yeah, case. He, he's like, punching above his weight. Right, right, right. Yeah. And so when he gets the but he but he still knows how to like dig and he still knows how to like live this this life. How these two ended up together, obviously. I mean, like, so he's clearly using her as a as a as a side piece, not a side piece, but like a you know arm, candy. arm, arm candy, right? Mm-hmm. And she's glomming onto him because he's an up and coming artist or potentially an up and coming artist. <laughs> when yeah. she's sitting in the chair. And then the interview is like, I don't want you to sit in that chair because I don't want to, I don't want to be photographed. I might use that. I might use that. Might use that in my next piece. And they're like, what? It's like, well, I can't really use it if it's in like another publication. When they they put him on the cow on the cover and it's just him like intertwined with this ridiculous looking couple of chairs that he's stolen. Like the whole like what, what I love about that is you get the idea of how dumb his found art sculptures are, but you don't actually ever see them. So like you can't ever like like really get an idea of like how, how silly they are. So you just have to imagine this in your head. <laughs> I mean, I just, I love the explanation. Right? And I mean, I think, look, I think that there is something, this is, I think a lot of conceptual art um, does this where it sort of kind of gets up its own ass, right? Where, where it, it, it thinks it's smarter than it really is. And it's just kind of clever. And I, I, I like this idea of stealing something, making it a piece of art, because then it's this process kind of thing. And it is a thought, but it's also just fucking stupid, right? <laughs> right, right, right. right. Um, there was a Dutch artist, um, Bastian Otter, and tragically died, right, in the middle of creating a piece of art, which was sailing across part of the Atlantic Ocean in the smallest sailboat ever, <laughs> like, to sail across the Atlantic Ocean. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, all right, no shit. But another, another project he did was... Um, riding his bicycle into the canals of Amsterdam and just having himself photographed falling into the, um, and so like on one hand, I'm like, that's kind of clever. And right, on another, right. I'm like, is it though? <laughs> so right, so right, I yeah. actually, I actually like this guy's work. So I don't mean to sort of, you know, speak ill of the dead, but did you, I have to ask you a question. Did you feel seen when, um, at the party seniors talking to a, to a couple of people and she's like, you know, People always told me that I should start a podcast because I'm naturally funny. <laughs> and Thomas goes, really? Who told you that? <laughs> Lots of people. <laughs> Lots of people. Lots of people. <laughs> yes, I did. I did. That, that hit a little particularly close to me. <laughs> <laughs> Rate and review us, guys. <laughs> Give me attention. Validate me. Validate me. <laughs> <Don't> Don't make. Never mind. <laughs> Don't make me hurt myself. I'm kidding. That was not a... Uh, I was not serious. It was a joke. Uh, any trigger warning was out there, and I'm sorry. All right. So, do you want to get back to Mr. Green and talk about the film Look, this Undertow? The, this is the bed we've made for ourselves. So here we yes. go. I was so I was thinking about this earlier, and I'm like, okay, well, look. This is an exercise, much like a piece of conceptual art. This is about the exercise and the process of going through these films, even if we don't like them, there's a spoiler. And in, in seeing what we can come up with and seeing 
you know, what ideas pop up or what we discover going through this filmography. Yeah, I'm interested to talk with you about it. I do think we're going to like dislike after we talked about George Washington, I do think we're going to dislike different things about this, but I'm, but I'm, yeah. Um, okay. So, right. let's so here's give us a breakdown. Here's your synopsis, your storyline. Following the death of his wife, Audrey, John Munn moves with his two sons, mid teen Chris and adolescent Tim, to a pig farm in rural Drees County, Georgia, where they lead a reclusive life. The boys' maternal grandparents no longer visit due to being out of sorts with John. Chris is rebellious against this life in ways where he's regularly picked up by the police. Because of Tim's young age and health issues, because he eats mud and paint, Chris Chris is routinely asked by their father to do more together. than his fair share of work around the farm. No, they are they are separate food groups. <laughs> <laughs> Into their lives returns Dioman, John's brother, who the two boys did not even know exist existed. John emotionally distanced himself from Dio following Audrey's death and Dio's incarceration. John, however, welcomes his brother in an effort to mend old wounds and for the boys to get to know one of their few relations. They will all soon learn that Deal has ulterior motives for his visit, those motives emerging largely from those wounds, and which has the boys fighting for their own survival in more ways than one. Do we ever learn why Deal goes to jail? No. Right. He did something bad. He did something bad. <laughs> I think right. that's like all no, they... That's the line, right? That's all they say. I, um, so here's... Because of what you just said about... George Washington. Mm. I, I want to say this. So I don't think this movie is very good. I'm with you there. It's all over the place style wise. So it's like everything that he learned from those first two films, he's just throwing at the wall and seeing what works. And so all of those like little tricks that I thought were cool in George Washington and that I thought were cool in all the real girls come off as hackneyed here come off as just like i'm trying way too hard i am just gonna like what can i do i'm gonna throw everything in here and so any of that visual like lexicon that he'd established i feel like this film he just obliterates that and destroys it i kept reading people mention night of the hunter yeah with this movie and i'm like i don't okay so there's a one He's not a mysterious stranger that comes to town. He's not a preacher. He doesn't have knuckle tats. <laughs> right, he doesn't have knuckle tats. Like, nothing speaks to that at all. Mm -mm. There's no Cape Fear aspect to mm -mm. any of this. Mm -mm. I hated this movie <laughs> from the very from the fucking jump. beginning. That bullshit fucking intro. That's what I'm talking about. Where like, yes, this is like some, this is like if you gave someone, if you gave someone who had never seen a movie before and probably hadn't seen like the outside world or hadn't interacted with human beings and said, hey, I'm going to make you watch a Terrence Malick film and then I'm going to make you watch an episode of uh, uh, Vegas and an episode of um, Dukes of Hazard and, and then, something on MTV, and, right? And yes, and then because you're 2004, I want you to do. It's like someone got a new VHS camera and it has all these cool buttons that he can push on it, so he can do a side swipe and a fade in and a, and, a, and a pause for you know and like freeze weird staticky like, like black it, and whites. And it was like a it, it was I, the the intro to it, where again you're. You're again the 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 bleed the the color bleeds yeah, yeah and the and the the side swipes of the names I was infuriated from the very very opening scene of this and I and I was like I'm gonna hate this I know I'm gonna hate it oh yeah it's this is going to suck and it never came back it never got back from that and what sucks is this Bell is great I think Jamie Bell is pretty good in it I I 
I really like early era um, Kristen Stewart stuff. I, I mean, I'm I'm a huge fan of her. I, like, I mean, like non Twilight stuff, and obviously not Twilight's not really her fault. Uh, no, I'm I'm a big case two fan. But like, yeah. they don't utilize her at all, she, and like, right. And so, so yeah, we set up the movie with Jamie Bell's character, and he's the eldest son of uh, <laughs> Dermot McDermott. Or is it Dylan McDermott? <laughs> Dylan McDermott. <laughs> I'm sorry, that, bit, that bit is never going to get old for me. I will do that forever. Uh, so they, he's, 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 he's in a relationship with Kristen Stewart and it's, uh, well, it's, they're like, they're like the 14 year olds. So I mean, right, but he's hard. older. I think that's the reason the dad's upset. About oh, okay. It. I mean, it, so is he like closer to six? I think he's like closer to 16, 16 17. 17. Okay. Right? okay. So okay. like he's probably too old to be dabbling with the only girl that he knows in the neighborhood, which is probably in the 12 to 13 era, but there's, but that's all he knows. Let's right? call her 14. Okay. Let's, let's say she's a freshman. It, he's a junior. <laughs> right. Make it a little less ooky. Yeah. Uh, and so they are kissing. He goes and I guess, I guess he's been told by his dad or the, her dad that they can't um, see each other. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing here, right? Yeah. Cause he throws a rock through her window, breaks her window, which is he comes a out weird his, way to be like, right. And then he runs and then the dad comes out with a dog and a shotgun mm. and like he starts chasing him, which again doesn't come back into play here ever. No. Like that no. this whole opening scene of him. Also, there's so much shit that's just brought up and you're sure that's gonna come back. And it never there's does. so much ominous nothing here yeah. that you're just always on edge and it never ever plays out. Like he steps on a, a wooden nail. Oh wait, wait, can we so can we talk about that? Yeah. So he's he steps on this nail that's attached to a board and he ends up running with the board like in his foot. Wait, he inexplicably gets a cinder block brick and knocks <clears> the <throat> and knocks the nail in it where it sticks away like it curves, curves curves over and makes his foot stuck to the board. Right. But what I love about that, this is like the only thing I think I actually love, that he ends up getting picked up by the cops and, you know, released eventually. But the cop that drops him or the cop hands him the board back (laughs) before he leaves the station. (laughs) That I liked. I, I, and so we go through all of this. um, So he's, he's, he's interrupted his little brother's birthday, which is just going to be a birthday party with him, his dad and his little brother. Because his dad won't let them have friends. For some unexplicable, oh, inexplicable yeah, reason, right? Yeah. I mean, like, we don't we ever no know. Yeah. Um, there's no reason for that. The dad doesn't ever seem like, that, that, I mean, it's not like he's some sort of uh, religious person. It's not like he doesn't interact himself with the townspeople. It's almost like I don't have the budget to include additional actors, so I'm just going to push that aside. And this is going to be a, some sort of weird reason. I'm never going to explain it. But they never interact with anybody else. Yeah. Like it's and so they have the birthday, I guess. He goes, I mean, it's you know, whatever. Eventually the brother comes back. Basically, <laughs> you know. And like and then that's this is an hour and fifty minute, you know, a little bit less than that movie. So we're th- it's 30 minutes in when Lucas comes Lucas back and up, like, yeah. and Lucas is not bad. He's, he's foreboding and you get, there's, there's some sort of like tension between the two of them. Basically what happens is, is that they both love the same woman and it's possible that the eldest son may be the older brothers. But um, that doesn't even come up until like everything's gone to complete shit. Right. And it doesn't really, even, it doesn't even matter. Like, no, it does, none of it. Cause yeah. he's there. The, the, the brother is there because their father left them these 40 gold, gold pieces, coins, Mexican gold pieces, right? right? And and Dermot Mulroney kept them all, and this guy wants half, and and Mulroney right. lies and says, I don't have them or whatever. 
Right. right. And, and, and he, so, makes, he makes up some sort of lies that when dad dies, they raided the place. Yeah. As if we know who that is. I know. Like, none of this story is explained at all. It's not even, like, hints. I mean, because I don't, I think we're both on board with the fact that we don't need mm. explanation or heavy exposition. But there's, like, nothing. Well, it's just these, like, comments. And you're like. And had this been an exercise like that? Where we're just seeing vignettes of people interact. Right. Like if we're seeing truly seeing a Malik film, I think this would have been fucking great. Yeah. But we're he tries to t- tie this narrative around it, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Because you're 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 telling me all of these things matter. He meets back up with K Stu, and she's like, I don't think we should be in this relationship. And he's like, okay, and walks and, off, and you never see K Stu again. Right. Ever. And that was a whole to the detriment of the film, <laughs> right? And that was the whole point of the initial opening scene. Like this is to establish sort of, that, right? That he's some sort of bad kid who's just trying to get through because his dad's holding him back. But no, his dad gets murdered in the first thirty-five minutes <laughs> right. of the movie, right? And th- and then then all that other stuff like comes up right. out and, of nowhere. I mean, and, like and as they're fighting, it's like eh, she was my woman and blah blah blah, and that's my son, and, and you're like, oh, okay, right. Like, and then, and so then it's a road movie where these two kids are running from their uncle who is trying to get the gold uncle pieces father. back. <laughs> right. They're trying to get the gold pieces <laughs> back. And then they start encountering people of the South, right? And now we've got to enter into these like homespun characters that are supposed to like evoke some sort of emotion out of us or like really kind of like tie us and ground us in this movie. And you're just like, go fuck yourself because everything is built up with this ridiculous tension that never plays out and it never pays off. And like, so they meet this uh, young black couple who can't have kids of their own and they're playing basketball and they're like, Hey, we'll do some yard work for some food. And then there's, so they do all that. And of course there's this really tense like conversation, like, and and so, uh, you know, here's all of this that, you know, I'm unloading all of my emotional baggage on you right mm-hmm. this moment. Cause mm-hmm. I've just fucking met you and now I've got to do that. Mm-hmm. And, but that's going to build up to like tension of like, Oh, are they good? Are they bad? Are they good? Are they bad? And like, they call the dad and like, hey, we, you know, they're, they're not, you know, the, the young boy who's been eating paint and mud is not doing good stomach wise. So we yeah, call the dad. Because he's been eating and paint they, and mud. Right. Which, again. Never explain. And never fucking does anything no, with it. I know. Right. It, it, it's like, like, okay, I kept expecting the kid to die. A normal movie would have killed him like about with like 15 minutes left where Jamie Bell's like. I'm so sorry, and now I've got to go make my way in the world. And, like, I still have this, like, ominous presence behind. It's never explained. It's never done anything. It's just there so we can see the kid throw up and eat weird shit occasionally. And, like, no one sees him do it. Right. Like, you know, because the dad and brother are always like, oh, why is he so sick? Oh, no. It's like. Like, all the things. All the things he fell in love with in George Washington. You're right. All of like the, the I'm gonna go and meet with little townspeople, and I'm gonna mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, throw in these little vignettes. I'm gonna go to a boat dock, and 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 they're gonna say some down home folksy things, and they're gonna say nonsensical shit, right? Like he's searching for infinity, but I'm not sure his head. I mean, it's all that the things that like Ebert like really fell in love with this this stupid fucking dialogue. Well, look when a just, kid when a kid says it in George Washington. When they're looking for all the mistakes that God made, that's funny. Or not funny, but that's right. that's interesting. But, but yes, when we hear it, when we hear stuff like that in this film, it 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 it, it feels it falls flat. It feels like someone trying way too hard to kind of like repeat some of those things that they fell in love with. In which those is past why he, movies. which is why he kept the chiggers scene in. Yes, because that was improvised by an eleven year old, and I'm like, yeah. 
Uh, oh, oh, okay. Okay. I mean, like, I, I've got kids, too, that can say shit like that. I mean, like, it's not like that was profound or... A great piece of dialogue, and no, and no, it comes, no, but it comes bad mouthing and No, 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 but it, I mean, but it comes so late in the film too, right? So, like, I mean, I think of something like that maybe had come sooner. That gives us some more insight to this character, who, like, really all we know about is that he organizes his books by smell, <laughs> right. which okay, interesting, right? Sure, I mean, right. I mean, all right, I or I organize my my records like based on life experience, <laughs> right? Let's not get into that. It's it's like a whole existential exercise, and it just makes right, me I've cry. Seen, I've seen High Fidelity. I understand how it works. Okay, all right. Well, but Neil, he okay, all right. <laughs> but he did it look, this way. Look, I can, I can, I can show you how I get from Fleetwood Mac to Howling Wolf. <laughs> so yeah, so Josh Lucas starts to chase them throughout the Deep South. Um, they encounter a young black couple. They go to a shipyard um and then they end up going to this like commune with all these other young people the homeless kids right he kind of falls in love with Sherry Appleby and 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 she kind of takes his gold pieces but then but or she thinks she takes his gold pieces but he's got him on he's got him on her or him he starts to fall in love with her because he's got nobody else yeah. which is again so fucking bizarre and like out of left field and like again there's no character growth because there's no character development here and then so he josh lucas goes and they they finally he finally catches up to them he goes to this stream and throws 40 gold pieces into the bottom of the stream and i'm thinking thinking the whole entire time like he could just reach down and and get those gold pieces out of the river that he didn't like do anything with them he just dropped them into murky water that's not like really getting rid of them no and then they fight and Lucas gets a knife to the chest, and we think that Jamie Bell has been drowned. And I don't know, do you think that the actual ending is actual ending? So that's what I was going to, I mean, I think in my notes I have, because his name is Chris, and I'm like, so Chris is dead, right? Yeah. And, and, and I think what, so I, it could go either way, because they bring up the grandparents in conversation earlier. And it, the younger brother, Tim, is like, why don't we go see, like, mom's parents? And, and he's like, oh, they don't like dad. Right? They don't like dad, so we can't go there. Even though, like, they could, right? right. <laughs> so, you know, at the end, we see um, Chris in the hospital bed surrounded by the grandparents and, and, and Tim. But we also see this kind of what's almost like a heaven scene, right, in black and white where he's at the ocean. And I think we catch like a glimpse of his dad there too. Or I mean, it's kind of this weird moment. And I forget if there's like a voiceover or something else going on. I mean, it's I I'd zoned out. So I think <laughs> the, the reason that I think I was rolling my eyes at that point too. I'm just like, what the fuck? Like, right. And it's so like because you think he's been underwater for too long and you don't see him. And then you follow Lucas and he tries to get up out of the water, but he's got a knife yeah. stuck in his chest. Yeah. And then we cut immediately to a hospital, to the hospital room bed. where you've got a really over-the-top grandfather saying weird shit and a grandmother who's standing Grandma's up. Grandma's going to cook real good for you. Right. You, you like alligator? alligator? You like alligator and buffalo? Make you strong. Mm. The, reason I think it's, the reason I thought it was a dream sequence is because Tim pops the balloon. Yeah. And so there was yeah. a previous scene where Tim couldn't blow up a balloon. So I just thought that it was some sort of like sense of like Jamie Bell's lungs letting go and he didn't make it. And that's the, you know, that's the balloon pop. Right. And so it's, it's Jamie Bell wanting under the water, wanting this to be the end for them is that they've found the other grandparents, but the pop is the, 
cut to where Jamie's dead in the, yeah. in the water. And, and I, I mean, I kind of thought the same thing, and especially based on like Tim's look and mm. and 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 the grandmother, where they were distant and just sort of staring off into like nowhere or looking angry even at right. That, um, and again, Chris, so. But a a, a a dream sequence in a movie that hasn't had any of them and wouldn't give you any indication this is where this is leading. I I mean I like I said I this movie set off on set you know off on the wrong foot for me again with the opening sequences, and then just never regained its you know never came back around. But this I just don't understand the there are, this the it just doesn't work this, right none of it works and I think the decisions and choices were all all wrong. I mean. You know, far be it for me to whatever, but <laughs> but no, but I mean, like 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 the dream sequence sequence choice. Like, why throw that in at the very end? Why do that beginning with like the wipes and the color bleeds and there's like this like why? Right, because it only comes back into play a couple of times. And I was sitting there thinking, holy shit, is this going to do this the entire fucking movie? Because I actually thought that the copy that I had was, like, fucked because I was like, they stopped for a second and then it cut back oh, in yeah. of, like, Jamie Bell walking in. And I like, know. I was like, what is... Well, okay, maybe this was just it's a jitter and then it was not. I but was then like, once the movie, like, gets past that, the tone is completely different. Yeah. I mean, it's trying to be this sort of quiet, malachy type film again. And it's like, what the... F so I just felt it was, like, all over the place. And you know Malik gets credited with the story. <laughs> is he? I didn't even pay attention oh, to that. Oh, well, so it's it's Malik's pseudonym, Lingard Jervy. Did you know that was his pseudonym? No. Did you know that Malik also wrote under the name David Whitney? Mm. I did not. Did you know that Malik <laughs> did an early draft of um, Dirty Harry? No, but I'd like to see that movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, <laughs> mm -hmm. He did an early draft, um, and you refuse credit. But again, the right. early draft of that film, and did some other early early drafts of other films, but under under different names. Hmm. And so this is um, it's 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 his story, right? So, but the screenplay is by Green, right, um, right, right. But right. yeah, Lingard Jervy, interesting. <laughs> I uh, score by Philip Fucking yeah, Glass. Yeah, Philip Glass, and I think that's one of the things that Ebert was like. So, if, if you oh, he loved it. Oh my god, he like just a. a there's no scene that's not heightened by the score, Philip Glass. Maybe watching it in 2004, when you're when you're in the post Sling Blade like copycat era, and if you've been so enamored with, which I know that they were, with George Washington, I didn't see Siskel's response to it to be honest, either. but but it was being so enamored with George Washington and all the real girls, maybe really wanting this to be the next like. This is the voice, and you're seeing this film, and it's you it's clear it's David Gordon. I was like, is it? Like, this is so generic. Oh, it's, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's, and it's also so lacking of any of the humor that he had in all the real girls, and like the, the kind of lack of, like a little bit of self awareness that he has in that movie where it's not taking itself so seriously. Like, I don't necessarily know if you can do that with this story. But but if you because it's it has to if it's so much trying to be Night of the Hunter I guess but it really to me is just it's just more of a joyride it's more of a like it's more of a, a movie that you know again there's just an ominous presence it takes such a tonal shift thirty minutes in and then and then you're supposed to like uh, you know distrust and and then worry about this kind of Terminator coming after these kids which. In reality, when I was sitting there thinking, I was like, well, it's really easy to hide from. All I got to do is go around the corner. And, like, it's like he, he completely loses them I for know. the most part. Like, And it's weird <laughs> to me that they, he ever actually found them, aside from the call, right? I mean, but, like, 
It's in, it's the deep south. How hard would it be to get lost with no technology in the deep south? Like you could have just gone just, one hundred yards ha- over and would have been fine. Happenstance sees him or sees them at a gas station. Right, right. Um, and and, 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 and at no point do they ever think about again and the, the whole conceit about the 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 Mexican gold being uh, tarnished or unlucky. That's the reason they can't use it. It's such a fucking like. <laughs> just, 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 just they're. I mean, they live in a dilapidated house and are trying to be pig farmers. Right. So, yeah, I mean, like, everything's worked out great so far. Like, why wouldn't like it's? Why wouldn't at some point? You maybe would, maybe just go get rid of those coins. Or get what, I mean, sell like, them and then like, right? Be rid of them. Why do you it's, have them in your fucking bedroom? It's, well, even behind a painting, and even for the boys, then like, why don't they go and pawn one of them so they can get a hotel room or, or something? Right, a bus ticket to someplace. Like yeah, nothing mm-hmm. in this movie makes sense. And, and the and, dad says, "Oh, I pawned one last year to get the station wagon." So they know that. Right, it's possible. Right. It, oh, okay, no, I could just go. Oh, can we stop yes, talking about yeah, this fucking yeah, sorry, movie? Sorry, because I because I have <laughs> I have a question for you, Jason. Do you have a sledgehammer in your heart? Oh, my God. Let's talk about snow angels. Do you have a sledgehammer in your heart? Because I have a sledgehammer in my heart. Are you ready to be my sledgehammer? actually like tom noonan and i just and and it's like i I like all the people in this movie for the most part so this movie should be a hell of a lot better than it is oh for fucking sure um do you want the synopsis yeah let's go okay all right Um, we don't have to no no no. i mean i think we need to because there's nobody that's on our recommendation is going to go watch this piece of shit well i'm not recommending (laughs) so on a on a cold afternoon with snow on the ground the high school band is practicing for the last football game they hear shots flashback a few weeks before Arthur is a high school student busing at a restaurant. Annie and Barbara friends and waitresses there. Annie was Arthur's babysitter when he was little. She's now separated from her husband, Glenn, who's on the wagon, starting a new job, praying to Jesus and trying to prove he has his shit together so he can see more of their small daughter, Tara. Annie is sleeping with Barb's husband. Um, Arthur's parents have just separated, and Arthur is attracted to Lila, a new student at the high school. It's a small town. Everything starts to intersect. Boy, does it. So the, I, I think this should really be better than it is. I mean, we have Tom Noonan. We have Sam Rockwell, Kate Beckinsale, Amy Sedaris. Nikki Cat, uh, Griffin Dunn. Yeah. Um, it, this is based on a novel written by Stuart Onan. I don't know if you're familiar. Mm. Stuart Onan's a good, a good writer. This book, I skimmed like half of it. The book is very well written. He, he wrote the only book of his i've really read is a book about a circus fire it's a nonfiction book and uh it's it's fantastic so the source material is is interesting is is good and this movie it's well here's what i will say about it though it is much more restrained in those tricks and ticks that he had in undertow he doesn't do all of this stuff he yeah some of the same things that he there are some of these moments that kind of come through, but a lot of the stuff that that he did in George Washington, All the Real Girls, and Undertow, they're not here in this one. It, it, I feel like it's much more. Yeah, this feels like you watched a little bit of Schrader. 
This is yeah. like he watched Affliction and was like, okay, yes, yeah, <laughs> I'm good because I, okay, this good. is. Yeah. Oh, okay, I see. How, yeah, it's yeah, super easy to compare this to Affliction. Um, obviously, it's a lesser film, but but again, like similar source material material as well because Stuart O'Neill, um, Russell Banks. I would probably say I like O'Neill better, but I mean these are right, you know, similar contemporaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean they're. Parts, I, for what I can say about this versus Undertow, there are parts of this movie that I like. I like the, I like Michael, I forget, I, I never can pronounce his last name. The right. character's name is Arthur. Right. The, Ar- the high school kid. Right, the high school. I, I thought he was great. I thought the high school love story was really cute and interesting. I thought that that never got to the, I thought it, it gets to the creepy stage a little bit. Actually, well, with, i take that back now. With Kate. The Kate Beckinsale oh. story that he tells, the... Yeah. Um, the pseudo sex scene was a little too much. I mean, like a little much. I think, but uh, and it wasn't like graphic. It was just what was implied. And I mean, um, so I think that was a little. But I liked. But I liked their dynamic. I think mm-hmm. that that kind of innocence. Like I understand, in this kind of sense of like you're trying to do an angry ice storm where everyone's kind of interconnected, but like. Um, but they're all having their own trauma thing. I think that story plays probably yeah. the, the best for so me. So here's the, here's the thing. Arthur, this is what drives me a little bit crazy. Well, not crazy. This is one of the faults I have with the film is that Arthur, the high school student, is really meant to be our POV character. Right. But we don't spend enough time with him. Right. And in the book, so the book is narrated in two different ways. Um, one is the first-person point of view of Arthur, kind of looking back, right, and telling the story. And then the other parts are like third person, still kind of from Arthur's third person point of view, though. So even in the book, he is our kind of moral center. He is our, he is the thing that allows us to get to everything else. But we, this feels so disjointed to me because these movies where all these different sort of people intersect they have to actually kind of like intersect and then somehow, right, they all kind of come together. But that never happens. Everything is, I feel like this could have been three different movies. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Well, I, and again, of a movie that like, just like Undertow, lost me in the first five minutes. I was like, okay, well, clearly I've read the synopsis and I know who's suicidal and I know who just committed suicide. Yeah. So now everything's going to be leading up to that. Well, this is, okay, so this is one thing that I, I, the book, the book opens like the first line is about Annie was murdered. I mean, it, it's not. It's sure. It's, it's the first. The first two sentences we know who's dead, right? And and so this is <laughs> this is something that my old um, like teacher and friend Lee K. Abbott would say. Look, you get the what out of the way so you can get to the why, right? Because it's not really look. Someone's going to die, but what's interesting is the reasons behind it, right? That's what we're all here for. But I, f- I find like these like flashbacks in films are so often like just cheap tricks. Yeah. Like, I, did we need that? Well, and this film doesn't know how to handle the why. Right. And so like none of it's interesting. And since you all know that it's where it's leading, it loses. And like, like I said, that the the high school story is the most interesting because I don't know where that's going to end up. Right. Right. I know where everything else is going to end up, and that's okay. But again, you've got to make that something compelling. Nobody has a character arc here. We start so deep into this story. Like, again, and a lot of the pieces don't actually matter. Like, the high school kid, like, Griffin Dunn's story doesn't fucking matter. No, no, not, not, except for how it affects Arthur. Right. Right? I mean, that's the only reason it should matter. But again, like, it's so disconnected. Yeah, like you just said, it's Griffin Dunn's story. 
it shouldn't be Griffin Dunn's right. story. It should be part of Arthur's story, and it's not. And that's that's yeah. where this thing like comes apart because there should be a thread connecting all these people, and there isn't. Yeah, yeah. I, I so let's let's take a sorry. Step back. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to like piece my head around like why I hate all of this, but like, <laughs> but so the Tom Noonan thing again seems like. D double G just basically saying, Hey Tom, do your own thing. And like, we're going to play, I've got rights to Peter Gabriel's sledgehammer. And that's kind of a cool song to hear as a band play. Just riff on that. Just riff on that. This, this band's not, you know, it's, they're not playing well. They're not paying attention. Go, yeah. go yeah. do that. And then, because that whole thing, whoever wrote that probably should be ashamed of yeah. themselves. Well, that's the opening scene in the book. <laughs> not the sledgehammer part. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Right. I'm okay with the band member. Yeah, like, I'm yeah. okay with them dressing those kids down. Right, it's right. Just, because that, I mean, that is like kind of yeah. Right, I get that. I understand. But the no, it's it's. I understand. Yeah. I understand keeping the high school kids who's your who's your narrated point of view off guard a little bit, keeping him off kilter, mm -hmm. so he has mm -hmm. to come back and study himself in a world that won't study itself. Right, I get that, hundred percent. But you know who wrote that. Look, look, the same person that wrote, do you have a sledgehammer in your heart? Also wrote, this river goes two ways. Right, yeah. <laughs> that way and that way. <laughs> but that scene is played so well because no, I know. <laughs> he's so good at it. I just, I mean, like, and again, that's the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, if this was a Todd Salons movie, like, if we were doing it with happiness here, like, and, and, and there's some sort of, like, ridiculous uh, sledgehammer note, then I'm, I understand why that's in there. Yeah, but... Gordon Green can't pull this off. Not at this point in his no. career. He can't pull this off at all. And like, so it just kind of stands out and then it just kind of dies. It lays right. flat. And then we're in a, you know, in a Chinese restaurant where they, you know, Kate Beckinsale and Amy Sedaris and Arthur all work together. And so we're, that's their dynamic. The, and then we, you know, we see Sam Rockwell um, go and pick up his kid and he's, and he's, he's, with his family and he's, you know, he's combing his hair and blow drying his hair. Cause you think that he's going out on a date at first and it ends up, he's going out on a date with his daughter who mm -hmm. doesn't even see all it often. He forgets the rabbit. He's just a drunken. He's not drunk yet. <laughs> That's right. well, so, okay. So this is the, and, and, and I'm just going to jump in on some sure, of these. Sure, no, I'm sorry I, mean, to like, I don't know where to like start to like really pick this apart. Well, to uh, yeah. But, uh, but I think this is a, one of the other things was, I mean, kind of like you said about the characters and, 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 character development is this is this is my problem with Sam Rockwell is that I never actually kind of buy what's going on with him because we don't really we see a little bit of the religious stuff but not really I mean the first kind of the first piece we get of it is when he goes to talk to his his kind of new boss and right. the new boss wants to read him scripture but it looks like he can't be bought like he just wants to get out and I understand he's trying to get back to his kid but if he's really this like you know, newly born again, like so deep into it. He's going to have some kind of response about that, right? He's going right. to engage, but he doesn't. Yeah, right. And then, and so then you think it's a, it's a, it's a put on. It's right? an effect, right. right? But, but it's not. But, but it just doesn't. It doesn't play, right? It doesn't fit. He and I don't look. I, I think Sam Rockwell is a good actor, and I think he's, I don't know, doing the best he can in this. I mean, he comes off as really like wimpish and like you see him he comes off as someone who's really trying to be upstanding and really trying to be a kind of quote-unquote man but has no idea how to do it right right so this is how you do this right right you just and so i think he's he's good at that 
But these other characters, like when did, so when did he quit drinking? Because the only inclination we get there is that he tells his daughter, oh, daddy doesn't drink beer anymore. It's icky. Right. Okay. So was there a problem? Was there? So this is all told over a course of, I guess, a couple of weeks is what the storyline says. Like two it was weeks like a few, earlier. It just said weeks earlier. Right. Yeah. And we need way more backstory to this That's... than to, to actually give a shit about these characters. Also, like Sedaris and Kat, I never believe that they're fucking married. I don't believe that Sedaris actually gives a shit that 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 Beckinsale's sleeping with her husband. Um and part of that is because she's she's just Amy Sedaris. Right, right, right. This is this is a total miscast for Amy and Sedaris. She doesn't give a shit about it. Well, and like if Sedaris is just comic relief in a in a in the Chinese restaurant but to like to kind of really. give she's not. And we, we, she's kind of set up that way. And so then when you find out that Barb is the one who's married to to you know to Nikki Cat, you're like, oh oh, oh. Okay, really? I guess. Sure. I mean, because like, like that doesn't seem like those two people will be together ever. No. Because Nikki Cat seems like a drifter, like a, or at least a cop of some sort. And then they play it up. Not, as not like a, a, a uh, like a hospice right, nurse yeah, or something. Exactly. Yeah. Which is kind of like weird to like you play to like take him down a notch in a weird way, like to kind of like uh, you know uh, feminize him in a, in a sense. Aren't you a nurse? <laughs> right. And then. He also is not only sleeping with Kate Beckinsale, but he's also sleeping with another person at the hospice, and not and, not a dying person. Right, right. No, another nurse there. <laughs> so the whole premise of this, what happens is, is that, um, and it's all set up just like like you're just painting. Hey, pay attention to this thing because Beckinsale, you know, um, Rockwell's trying to get his life back together after he split up with Beckinsale. And when we describe this, we're giving this movie way too much credit. It this is true. Yeah. Like, so as as kind of like crazy as we sound. <laughs> so Beckinsale and Rockwell have recently split up. We don't know how long. He's living with his parents. We also don't know the reasons really why. Right, right. Yeah, she makes some sort of like uh, talking about their, their life together at one point. But like at some point she's kicked him out. You think because maybe his pussy was drinking. And that since then he's found God. Um, we're we're guessing here. So he has he's been unemployed. His dad gets him set up with a friend at the carpet store who's also uh, you know religious. He runs inside and says, "Hey, what time do I need to be there tomorrow?" And he's like, "We start at eight. And he's like, "Cool, I'll be there at a quarter to eight. And he's like, "I gotta go, and I want to hear your Bible verse, but I gotta go. My kids in the car." So when he drops off the daughter after their date at the mall. She's like, you know, I went, went inside and, and, you know, the, the, she's like, you can't leave the girl in the car like she's some sort of dog. Well, because he left her with his dog. <laughs> right, right, right. That's true. I forget about Boomer. Who's, who's a good dog? The, the good dog, dog is probably the best part of this movie, yes. actually. Yeah. So fast forward later, we find out that Beckinsale doesn't want to get back with Rockwell because she's sleeping with her best friend's husband in a seedy hotel room and, and, um, uh, you know, you find out later that it's, you know, it is her best friend. That's who she's sleeping with. Um, through some confluence of events, Beckinsale goes back to her house when she's got her daughter. She's tired, I guess, after a long day at work or I can't remember. She's now sick. Exactly. She's sick. Right. Yeah. I mean, we get these glimpses of Beckinsale as a, I mean, look, I think Beckinsale should be much more sympathetic in this film than she is. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I think that for whatever reason, she leaves Rockwell. She was the one doing the leaving, and she's clearly kind of going through this process, going through this kind of quote-unquote grieving process of the ending of this relationship, knowing that she needs to move on past this guy. But she has no idea how to fucking do that. And so part of this is, uh, oh, 
I'm sure Nikki Cat hit on hit on her at one point. She's like, right, sure. I want attention, right? But yes, <laughs> right. I want attention. So yeah, okay, sure. And then it just kind of you know snowballed from there. But we see her as like as any I think single mother would in this kind of economically just de- depressed like northern Pennsylvania town or right. whatever, wherever we right? are. Right. She loses her temper with this young daughter, right? And she doesn't hit her or hurt her, but she you see she gets frustrated. She gets angry. She's just like, I just need quiet. I just need, you know, leave me alone. And so there's this day where she, she it looks like she's sick because she's drinking like- um, Right, yeah, some sort of Robitussin. Like Robitussin, like right? And the, and, the, and the girl, Tara, who's like, what? Four, six or five, yeah, six? I mean, young. Yeah, probably like younger because, yeah, that would make more sense if she's younger. Than yeah, and she's like, I, I want to go outside. I want to go. And Kent Banks is like, no, I need to sleep. I don't feel good, right? right. Just just hang on, and I'll go out later, right? And then... And then the daughter goes out and is lost. Yeah. Um, and so the, yeah, between this time, Barb is found out, and Amy Sedaris has found out that, that Beckinsale is sleeping with her husband, so she's pissed. Tells her she can't work at the Chinese food restaurant anymore until she finds another job. But then Beckinsale immediately calls her because she's got nobody else to look, help her look for Tara, her daughter. And, of course, then she comes around and it's not even, it's not even a men, not really even a mention of her sleeping with her husband anymore. It's just, I mean, she's come back around to being her friend. Yeah. Um, they don't find her. They blame Rockwell for taking her. And he gets pissed off, of course, and, the, and his parents get pissed off. But... And so the entire town shuts down um, and the high school kids go and um, they employ the high school kids and everybody in town to go look for her. Let's be uh, clear, they don't, they don't pay them. <laughs> true, true, true. Did I say that? I don't, I don't you mean. said employ. Oh, okay. So, look, I mean, I, look, I, I know I just said I was economically depressed, but <laughs> these people still went out, <laughs> you know, on their own volition. Sure, sure. <laughs> uh, paid with their, yeah. For, with God, the good, not good everything is fucking capitalism, Jason. <laughs> Uh, Arthur decides to get high with one of his friends and then looks over and sees the little girl is immediately frozen into, <laughs> into the ice. Yeah. So it looks like what happened was she likes to go out of this pond, right? And that's where she went and she was probably playing and what slipped in the water and then Couldn't it get froze out. over. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, we don't really get a sense of how long she's been gone. Um, but then that sets in motion, really, none of them change all that much after that. Beckinsale's more pissed off at that point. Um, Rockwell is, goes to start drinking more at this point and obviously doesn't show up to his job, although we don't really see all of that. We don't really see any repercussions of that. Um, he gets the pictures back from the mall that he took with his kid and that becomes a confrontation with Beckinsale. He has a couple of fights with Nikki Cat, and of course that happened before as well. Um, but Beckinsale... It finds out that Kat's been sleeping with somebody else, so she pushes him aside. And then, you know, Rockwell basically then decides to kill Beckinsale and kill himself. And then that's that's it. I mean, that's mm-hmm. that's what happens. Mm-hmm. And it's not mm-hmm. like there's no great, I don't know, there's no great emotional catharsis. We don't like this is this is lacking like even of like American beauty. Like it's not even like right, right. it doesn't even have that kind of gravitas or like you know, and again, I, I was watching it the other day, and I was like, it's weird that we all championed this movie and then, like, turned on it, like, on a dime. American Beauty? Yeah. Yeah. Because um, it's, yeah, it's it's kind of pretentious, and, and it's gross in a lot of ways, but it's not, it's well shot, and it's, I don't know, it's well acted. It's it's just not the level of which we all held it up to is the minute that we mm-hmm. saw it. It's like mm-hmm. this deep, like... <laughs> well, I mean, I think, you know, I think we see sort of like a middle-class, middle-aged breakdown. 
And right. there's only so much, I think, sympathy that you're going to get. Um, it, it, I think despite all of the nastiness we, not, we now know about Kevin Spacey, sure. I feel like things started to turn against him, I mean, before all this too. But yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think American Beauty is fine. Um, I, I mean, I do think it, it, it thinks a little too highly of itself. Right. And, and I mean, the fucking plastic bag scene. Right, right, right. Yeah, there's a lot of it that, just, that can be made fun of for sure. Yeah. But there, but there's enough nuggets in that film where you're like, okay. I mean, like the daughter, right? Kevin Spacey and Annette Bening's daughter. And to sort of see her emotional arc and her kind of withdrawal, that's interesting to me, right? And how she gloms on to this other, other kid, right? And, and, and the repercussions that that has kind of, you know, just for her. Right. Um. You know, watching Kevin Spacey's downfall in that film, it, at parts is interesting, right? To see some of the banal ways in which that relationship dies and then how that leads to a more literal kind of death as well. Right. I mean, so, so but, 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 but to your greater point, sorry, I mean, to get no, off no, like no, American no, Beauty no, tangent. I, I brought it up. Oh, well. I haven't watched that movie in years. <laughs> I have no real desire to. Anyway, <laughs> as much as I was defending it. But it's, you're right. But this is not, this is not even that. It's not even close to that. No, it's, I, I can't, again, in a movie that's gotten decent reviews, it's so dour and depressing and it's unrelentingness of that emotion. Which is fine. If it's a decent fucking movie. Right. And it's not. No. Because here's the, th I mean, I'm sorry. No, I know no, I no, just, no, you look like you had something so profound to say <laughs> right. and I just like jumped all over it. I'm not even getting to my point yet. <laughs> the, see, I don't really even feel the depression and dourness and the sort of like emotional downer of this film, I feel almost nothing because there's nothing going on because there's not enough heft in it. Yeah. So like, here's that, that ending, that ending should be so much more harrowing than it is. I watch that ending and I just am like shrugging my shoulders. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, Rockwell breaks into this house and waits for her with a shotgun and I'm just like, I know what's going to happen, but like, right, you're not making me feel and, anything. And shoots her from behind. Even. Well, but there's this moment where he, he forcibly washes her feet. And that should have been the creepiest fucking moment of this film. And it right. wasn't. And I feel like it's such a lost opportunity. That, and not to be like, oh, I want a murder scene to be. But I should really feel for this woman. I should really feel for this moment about just how terrible and how heartbreaking it is for both of them. Because this is a man, and not to, you know, be sympathetic for a murderer, but this is a man who feels like he has lost absolutely everything and has no other choice now, right? This is what we're going to do, both of us. And this is how it has to be. But I never really see his kind of destruction, much less deconstruction. Right, right. And, it, and I'm interested from a book's perspective how it ties all this together because, and I'm sure that it has a, gives, gives a lot more time to the story to breathe, but had we seen Rockwell's descent into religion after his breakup, had we known them, you know, at the cusp of their divorce, given this, this and let's, you know, again, Kat and Sedaris, um, Dunn, and even Rockwell's family are given way too much screen time in this. So we need to have this story of Arthur being attached to Beckinsale, mm -hmm. like unhealthily attached to Beckinsale, and then having 
his innocence kind of reclaimed by the girl, the photographer in the, in the high school, yeah. and the kind of him coming back to the norm as a parallel to mm-hmm. Beckinsale's mm-hmm. life mm-hmm. disintegrating mm-hmm. and her like kind of perverting him in a way and using him. But like obviously you can see as he's starting to pull away from Beckinsale, that Beckinsale's starting to pull away from her husband and all these two relationships are where that and I kept thinking that maybe there would be some sort of like like sexual relationship between Beckinsale and mm-hmm. Arthur. Um that would have made a little bit more I don't know. But yeah, we're not given any time. So yes, that that scene where he's trying to be Christ-like and washing the feet of the person who it, it really yeah you're right it should have held way more weight it should have been we should so have seen haunting. someone like in the because it's never really a mania for him I mean yes he's he spouts off you know religion he's like his his prayer with his daughter is kind of rambling and ridiculous like this should have been someone who when he got divorced the only thing he had was the bottle in the bible and then now we know who this character is and that he's dangerous. We should, and you're and right. If he's given up the bottle, now all he has is the Bible. And right. so he leans much harder into that. And, and you're right. Beckinsale should be the sympathetic character here um, because one, the lens is through Arthur's eyes. He's going to see that as sympathetic. But no, we see Rockwell as this pathetic, sympathetic figure. <sighs> who's ultimately the person that ends this story. And I think it's okay. I think it could be okay to see him as sympathetic, right? I mean, I mean because he can be, we can have sympathy for this guy throughout the film, and he can still do this terrible thing at the end. And, and that should surprise us even more. I don't even have really sympathy for him ever, just because... No, he's, no, at all, yeah. It's because, one, he's so he's so buffoonish that, like, it's just... Like, you don't ever feel like he ever has his shit together. Like, you don't ever feel like this is a guy who ever had his shit together. Right. Right. And this idea that she says, like, well, you used to make me, you know, makes to make me feel safe and used to make me feel beautiful. I'm like, this really? guy? Really? Yeah, really? Yeah. I mean, okay. So, and, it, and that's the thing, too. Like, if it had been where, I mean, this, this, this is so easy to piece together, right? I mean, if, 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 if Rockwell plays an instrument, plays the trombone, and you see some sort of, like, tie with Arthur and his, or, you know, that there was some sort of like thing that she saw in young Arthur mm-hmm. that was also in young Sam Rockwell that made mm-hmm. sense to her. But yeah, we're not given any of that. So in the in in the book, the Arthur's parents splitting up are sort of parallel to this other relationship splitting up. Right. right? And the fact that Annie, Kate Beckinsale, used to be Arthur's babysitter, right? Or, you know, when she was right, a teenager right. and stuff. And so there's that connect. But again, like this stuff just isn't it isn't connected. It's just never connected, right? Those those parallels are set up in the book because they're set up like really early, right? So right. a little bit I skimmed to the book. I mean, it's set up like right there. You, you you start to see the you see the structure of it like working immediately that you don't hear, and that's it's amazing to me that he's able to survive these four films. Yeah, I mean, I know that the first two get quite high praise. Mm-hmm. But these next two should have doomed him to, and I guess I guess because of the praise that they got, and I still can't understand really where all that praise is coming from. Like, is is it because we are such, like, is it's not the it's not really in the the sweet spot of indie darlings anymore? No, right, right. I mean, we're two thousand four, two thousand seven, right? Yeah, I mean, it, so it would have been before that. Yeah. Right, you were a decade before before we're like don't before the you know the wine scenes are giving out cash to anybody who has a million dollar story. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. And then, like I said, and then he immediately goes into these big 
higher budget comedies that we'll obviously cover here in a little bit. But um, <laughs> yeah, I know the listeners are really excited about that, <laughs> uh, the way that they've addressed these so far. Um, it's it's it, it like this should have been there are way better filmmakers who didn't survive this level of output where right. these couldn't have been financial because again, they don't fucking exist. They couldn't have been financially successful. Now, granted, they probably didn't cost that much to make, but they do, there's no fucking way that these But again, made, like, look at the cast of Snow Angels. Right. I mean, Beckinsale in 2007, Rockwell in 2007. I, I, you know, I mean, not that Griffin Dunn commands a ton of money or Tom Noonan do, but these are recognizable people that were yeah. like, oh, okay. Uh, I mean, Tom Noonan will never not be Francis Dollar. <laughs> right. I hope everyone got that Manhunter <laughs> reference. <laughs> um, so, I mean, it, it, it's, yeah, I, I just, uh, it's just surprising how not good. I, I, I guess you're looking at the IMDb ratings and there's six point something and six point something. That's decent ratings for that. I mean, like it's, mm -hmm. and like, but if you look at the actual, like, I, not that I have any sort of faith in the tomato meter or anything like that, but like, they're still middling. I, I just don't really understand, unless you're just thinking of um, individual parts as being greater than the whole. I can't understand why you would, you know, give these movies any sort of real praise from the storytelling perspective. Yeah, I mean, and again, I just like both of them. And the writing I, perspective. I especially mean, watched back to back where it was just like, oh, God. It took go. me, I didn't watch them back to back. <laughs> it took me a couple of tries to get through Undertow. Um, and I sat down uh, one afternoon, one lazy afternoon when I was not feeling well to watch snow angels so i was like i can't go anywhere anyway so might as well just finish it um <laughs> yeah and for movies that like you think of movies that are in this same ball park right or at least time frame you're talking about like little children or in the bedroom or like these similar or you know even affliction which is in a few years earlier by almost a decade but like yeah. but these movies are still i don't necessarily know is affliction still being talked about but i mean like the there's there's these movies these people are still making movies that are not what he's making now. So he yeah. seems like he's tied, he's gone full horror, right? I mean, he's, he's remaking the exorcist, exorcist like he's doing yeah. the exorcist, whatever that is, whatever the existence. Well, I, I mean, is. he's, uh, he's probably going to, is he going to do a similar thing that he did with Halloween? Kind of like a, a retcon a, a, of, yeah, of three and four and <clears throat> I mean, a two and three. And I, yeah, don't, I don't, I don't, I have no idea. Right. Um, yeah, I don't have, I, I, I have not read into it. I just know that his name's attached. And then he's doing a Hellraiser TV series. Like, yeah, but I, I don't know if it's, that's Wasn't that him. already done? There was, a Hellraiser, there was a Hellraiser reboot on Hulu last So they're doing another one? Yeah, I think they're doing a series. Oh. Um, I don't know if he's helming that or if it's just that he's going to direct a few episodes of it. Oh. It seems like at this point it would be something that he would only helm, right? I mean, like, if you do the showrunner of... Well, I mean, I, how much involvement did he have with like Righteous Gemstones um, and that I don't know. and Vice Principals and um, I mean the Dana McBride HBO stuff, right. right? Those always seem like Jody Hill things to me. Well, though. but I know that he has some credits on them. It's so whether it's like producer or whether it's like a director of one episode or a writer. But but I think there's some involvement like in all of those. And so right. I wonder if it's something similar with the with the yeah. Hell you know, Dana McBride is Pinhead. I'd watch that. <laughs> I would too. I would I watch actually, that actually. I yeah. would watch that, yeah. Um, and like some of the, and maybe Paul Schneider could be another Cenobite. I mean, I, okay, yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> We're getting, yeah, get the band around, back like together. John Goodman, just the um, director's gemstones as Cenobites. And we can, oh, that, okay. 
<laughs> so yeah, I, I feel like yeah. I mean, out of all of these, like it's just like I, yeah. it's it's weird. I, <laughs> if anybody, and I know that nobody did, but if anybody watched these movies as a pre, as a, you know, because we talked about the last time, <laughs> one, I'd love Sorry. to hear what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, like if you liked it, that's great. Let me know, but like or let us know. But yeah, I feel bad for like having to go out and hunt down Undertow and Snow Angels, and mm-hmm. that's why I, I would be interested to hear what other people thought about them. I, I was. That, that's again when I was thinking about this, like films that he probably doesn't even really remember directing. Like, does anybody have Undertow or Snow Angels on their DVD like, shelf? Did they someone go out and buy these physical discs? What if there's like a DWG completist out there who's like, yes, yeah, I bought them. Yeah, I, yeah, I have, oh, them. I have them. them, and I watched the last. I've got an extra copy because I got, because one I don't want I don't want to lose this one that I've got. So if it wears out, I've got something. This one's still up. sealed. But films that'll never Someone's make like crap. Blu-ray or like there's yeah. no reason for these. I mean, they ever be released again. Um, it's interesting that that a guy who has such prominence as a director now, even good, bad, or indifferent, as far as where he, um, I mean, he seems to be able to write his own ticket, right? I mean, it's not like he's got a lot of cash yet. Yeah, I mean, really, I, and I know the Halloween, you know, the 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 re, you know, the whatever, the, the remake, whatever you want to call it did really really well financially and i'm sure all three of them made their money back so that that i mean that gives them some ability to and and halloween that first one was was well received but law you know just diminishing returns after that um yeah yeah it's he like i said i mean when we started this out as far as a very very interesting career he's about to take a hard shift into big budget studio comedies and then he comes back to this a little bit. He comes back to these kind of small indie With like films. Prince Av- Avalanche right. and Joe. And- um, two better, you know, actually better movies mm-hmm. than, than these. And then kind of goes directly. He, his, he's, got, he's broken up into like four parts, right? And yeah, it, if you look at his, his directorial credit, you're like, this is just kind of strange. Because- <laughs> <laughs> right, because from those two like indie uh, com, com, you know, indie movies like these that are a little bit more uh, fun, I guess, and not necessarily mm-hmm. Joe per se, but then he goes directly into Halloween. And I'm guessing that's because he had, you know, at least a little bit of, uh, you know, the, standing behind him because of how the HBO series is run and, you know, in his, in his collaboration with McBride. I think McBride helps get Halloween off the ground yeah. in addition to David Gordon Greeny. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I'm interested to watch these next three. I mean, I think so next time, um, the next DWG episode we do, you want to do the sitter, your highness and pineapple Pineapple express, Express. those three. Um, I don't know. Was there ever a release of the sitter? That was the unrated cut. I heard that there was an unrated cut that was like much more aligned with, and then the studio made them pull it back to a PG 13. I don't, I don't yeah, know. Yeah. I don't know if it's out there. Anyway, look, look, I think you know me well enough to know that these are not really my kind of movies. <laughs> right. um, I mean, I'm sure that like the listener out there knows that as well. <laughs> like stoner comedies are not really my, because right, I, mean, right. I mean, I don't know how I should want to classify pineapple express in your highness. No, no, I mean, no, right? they're, they're a hundred percent. Like that is exactly, yeah. that's the marketing for right. both of them. Right. Yeah. And then, um, the sitter. I mean, I'm not a huge like Jonah Hill. This would have been, a, but this because this would have been like right around that. Uh, when he did Super Bad, either I mean, it would have been right around the same time frame, right? I mean, right. Super Bad's what 2009, mm-hmm. and so mm-hmm. it couldn't have been. It would have had. It might have, might have been after Super Bad that he did this movie. Um, and then they go directly into Your Highness, and then Pineapple Express. Those two is, are first, right? 
Uh, were they before the sitter? Mm-hmm. Oh, really? So Pineapple Express was 2008. Your Highness and the sitter were both 2011. In enlisting, Your Highness comes first. That makes sense. Um, and then the because Pineapple Express was so popular. Mm-hmm. And then that gives him the ability to do a really high budget CGI fest, mm-hmm. Your mm-hmm. Highness. But man, Pineapple Express one year after Snow Angels? Yeah. That's... It's bonkers, right? I know. That's what I mean. It's, it's, just like, it's who, a hard pivot. Right, who hasn't had... Like, Linkletter kind of has a lot of the same thing. Like, I mean, like, he comes... He dabbles and back, bounces back and forth between, like... Especially early on, when he was, like, mm-hmm. doing Bad mm-hmm. News Bears and a few other mm-hmm. things. Like, yeah. Like, yep. I mean, but, yeah, to come that hard of a pivot... And maybe that's, you know... I don't know. Maybe there was some, like, self-awareness of, like... Let me go play around with my friends Jody Hill and and Danny McBride and do a yeah a big budget you know easy kind of comedy at the same time that we're doing Forty Year Old Virgin and um you know Knocked Up and and everyone's loving Seth Rogen and Franco and and Apatow right right. <laughs> Oh, recommended if you like. Yeah, let's do it. What's your What's your first one? Uh, let's. So I, I did one for sick of myself, and then these two. Same. Okay. Same, Sorry, same, cool. Same. So let's do the sick of myself one. My first one is Matt Spicer's Ingrid Goes West. Oh, with Aubrey Plaza. That was mine too. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. So okay. Well, okay, keep going. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. I mean, it's. I mean, Aubrey Plaza is a. How do you want to characterize? Kind of a loser who's like who who is falls in love with this uh, influencer and becomes kind of a stalker. And I wrote just, down social media stalker. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun. I mean, it's a, it was one of the neon films. You know, that was when neon first kicked off out of Draft House. And um, I mean, it's. It, I don't think it fully works for me, but it's a but it's a good time. Yeah. Like it, yeah. it one it it doesn't know what to do with its message. Where sick of myself absolutely does. Correct. Anger goes west wants to have its cake and eat it too. Right. And so right. like, you know, you can't really kill off Aubrey Plaza or make her too much of a villain. Um but Plaza and Elizabeth Olsen are great together and yeah. O'Shea Jackson is a lot of Ice I mean, Cube Jr. And yeah, and in his Sorry. film debut is a well it, it wasn't film debut. He it was after Shed out of Compton. Right. But but yeah, because this was 2015, wasn't it? Right, right, so, right. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, Angry Girl West. Yeah, excellent. I had, so lo- let's just throw in um, the worst person in the world as yeah, well. Yeah. Right, the uh, Joachim Trier, um, um, Norwegian film as well. Right, set in Oslo. So yeah, I think it pairs well with with those. Okay, cool. All right. <laughs> so my next one, I said on the George Washington episode that I wasn't going to be a person who recommended Gummo. I'm going to fucking recommend Gummo. I mean, if you want a, if you want a Malick type experience, but it's got mm-hmm. that fucking like grit to it, mm-hmm. it's gonna make you feel gross. Mm-hmm. That, which is he, what he wants to do. Harmony Corinne's gummo is okay. absolutely yeah. gonna do it. Yeah. Again, you're probably gonna hate it, but you're not gonna hate it as much as you like hate Undertow, and you're gonna talk <laughs> about it. You're going to you're going to want to discuss it. This I don't ever want to talk about Undertow. No, again. no. <laughs> All right. So I thought that if you want to see a good film about a teenager in a poor part of the country dealing with fucked up family shit especially like weird fucked up uncles and stuff then you should watch winter's bone mm-hmm. with uh jennifer lawrence directed by deborah granick right uh lawrence plays a girl in the ozark who has to navigate like dangerous social settings trying to find her drug uh dealing father john hawks is in it anything with john hawks i will watch um but also the novel by daniel woodrell of the same title is just incredible it is just incredible. And it's a really good adaptation of the book, too. But the book is, is it's, it's amazing. Not that I'd ever begrudge someone's career, but like, 
Jennifer Lawrence from Winter's Bone to have you seen the previews for No Hard Feelings? Yeah. I'm just like, how is this the movie you're making next? Right. And and look, prove me wrong. Maybe No Hard Feelings is laugh out loud funny. Well, I bet she's really good in it. I think because I think that she can probably pull that kind of comedy off, that kind of like awkward, raunchy comedy, right? Where she's not, I mean, look, she's Jennifer Lawrence. She's, she's attractive, right? Right, But also she's playing like a complete kind of klutzy attractive in this film. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I, look, I don't think it's going to be good, but I, but I think that maybe her performance will be maybe, like, okay. Maybe right. they're hiding everything that's good about the movie, not in the trailer, well, but the actually, trailer looks <laughs> way looks over the top. Awful. Yeah. It looks awful. Yeah. I mean, it looks, I mean, the jokes look pretty paint by number, but I'm hoping that she, hey, well, I mean, you know how this is going to play out, right? I mean, it, this is the problem with that movie is that there's not like, they're not, they're going to be subversive with that. No, right. They're right. not going to have anything sort of a new take on it. It's mm-hmm. going to and so unless they go, unless they figure out a way to out Animal House and American Pie it, and you know what I mean, yeah, then it's, it's, right, look, we're getting a quote-unquote progressive take because now the ladies can be gross, right? I mean, it's, it's all that whole girls' trip, uh, bad yeah, weekend, yeah, bad yeah, moms. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not, you know, fine. I'm all for <laughs> representation. You're for all for bad moms? Right, right. Is that what they, <laughs> yes, I'm, all for, yeah. I'm all for diversity and inclusion. Oh, yeah, when it comes DEI, to when bad comes mothers. To movies, right? It's fine. Like, I'm, I'm all for it. But I'm just saying that movie looks like a shitty movie. Yeah. Uh, my last one, if you do Gummo as the Snow Angels, my last one is Sean Baker's The Florida Project. No. Oh. As a down south kids fucked up kind of like fleeing from bad parents uh trying to find their own way um it's not an easy watch but it's a but it's a good one um so for snow angels i just go watch affliction (laughs) yeah yeah no i mean no absolutely no 100 percent. and it's it's it is the better version of that film yeah it's not not even it's not even in the same ballpark right i mean yeah if you're looking for uh but the parallels there are pretty close right Um, yeah so yeah, yeah. If you want to watch a film like that in a snowy kind of recluse of of Northern America, go watch Affliction. Probably filmed in Canada, but yeah. Well, look, <laughs> tax breaks, man. I know Snow Angels was filmed in Nova Scotia, but in Nova Scotia, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's that's all I know. I'm uh, I'm I'm sure Affliction was as well. I think yeah, Vancouver sounds about right, but who knows? It's a hipper town, <laughs> right? <laughs> you, and you got that's probably like that's Nolte, like you know, him throwing his weight around him. I'm not gonna film in fucking Nova Scotia. You know what he's like? He's like, look, I know a couple bars in Vancouver. This is where we're going, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Make my yeah. Next time, uh, we're going to talk about Akira Kurosawa's The Hidden Fortress, which we just screened at the Fort Worth Film Festival. Uh, Fort Worth Film Festival. That's not even a thing. Uh, the Fort Worth <laughs> Film Club. It's, I'm, I'm speaking it into, into, into truth. Let's, Maybe the let's make happen. it a thing. Right. Uh, so <laughs> Wilhelm <laughs> Presents. <laughs> So we could become a production company. I'm sorry. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. I keep <laughs> so uh, we're going to be we're going to be talking about um, a hidden fortress or the hidden fortress. We'll also be talking about Paul Schrader's new uh, movie Master Gardener, uh, and we're going to tackle a atmospheric horror film that was in theaters a few months ago called Ennis Men, which I think is available on Amazon Prime. If not, it's out there somewhere. But uh, those three we'll be talking about. Um, fingers crossed. I can tell you right now, we liked those movies, or we will. I mean, I can tell you that I liked most of those movies. Well, we haven't talked about Innisman. We haven't talked, talked about it. No, no. Uh, so 
those three going to be much better than an undertow and there's no way they couldn't be so this is true and snow angels can i i, I also want to pose something for the for future content on sure. the podcast so i was listening as one does to uh le tigre mm-hmm. um earlier and the song what's your take on cassavetes came on and i thought we should do a sort of retrospective on cassavetes on this podcast so there's Who's my there's my <laughs> Zoe's, uh, Phil, Phil, Zoe's dad. Phil Cassavetes? <laughs> Zoe's, Zoe's dad. John Cassavetes, uh, Zoe and Nick's dad. Right. You don't want to do a, do a retrospective on Nick? <laughs> you know, he's got a new film coming out Does called uh, God is a Bullet huh. with um, Nicholas Costa-Walder and uh, Micah Monroe, All who's right. one of my favorites. Um, so um, so maybe, gonna, maybe Jack and I. Yeah, I'm absolutely in for Cassavetes. All right, so there you go, listeners. Something else to look forward to. Jason, anything else? I think that'll do it. All right. Thanks for listening. And keep screaming. Do you have a sledgehammer in your You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you like today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting whydoesthewilhelmscream.com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time.